Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Two zero, and a blast way back left field, and forget about it. My goodness, Nick Castellanos, a long home run to left field down the line. It's a two-run shot, and it is a three-nothing Phillies lead. And it would only get better from there. Thank you, Scott Fransky. Thank you, LA, for that. At the end, which was good punctuation for last night's game. Good morning, everybody, along with Mike Sealski from the Inquirer. I am Glenn Mack. Now, morning, Mike. Good morning, Glenn. It was a great night down at the ball yard yesterday. Nick Castellanos hits the home run. Reese Hoskins hit a home run. Derek Hall hits a home run. Uh, JT Real Muto hits a home run. Who am I leaving out? There were five. Who did I leave out? Who did I leave out? Uh, you said Derek Hall, Castellanos, JT. And uh, uh, Hoskins, right? Hoskins. Hoskins. Yeah. Shame on me. First run on the board. Shame on me. Cassiano's heating up, Mike. Um, yeah. Let me give you this. Uh, he is now in his last 10 games, 368 with an OPS of 905. Uh, rumor is that the Phillies are going to sign Jim Salisbury <laughs> to a contract in which he engages in a heated back and forth with Nick Castellanos every morning to keep Castellanos hitting at this level. Hey, Jim can take all the credit. Um, I'm, I would not argue with any of that. Anyway, the Phillies uh, go to a 7-2 win over the uh, really lowly Washington Nationals. Can, can we say that the Nationals are, in your favorite term, tanking? Well, yes, we can say that. And the good news is the Phillies play them a ton of times yes. between now and the end of the year. The Phillies play the Nationals. They play the Marlins. They play the Pirates. The Phillies' schedule looks really easy. And now the Phillies have won nine of the last 11. They are 10 games above five hundred for the first time this season. Uh, interesting. I was looking at the standings. It's a three-way tie now among the Phillies, Milwaukee, and St. Louis Two of those three teams are going to make the playoffs. One of Milwaukee-St. Louis makes it because they will win the division. You liking the chances? I do. Um, 
the Phillies, if I'm not mistaken, hold the tiebreakers over both of those teams. So combine that with the moves that Dave Dombrowski made at the trade deadline. Combine those two factors with the fact that, as you said, JT Romuto and Nick Castellanos, two guys who you're paying a ton of money to, who had been having below average seasons, are starting to hit. I think you got to feel pretty good about the Phillies' chances here. Liking it a lot. And by the way, they do have nine games left against the Nationals, and that's, you know, they've won 16 of the last 18, and that was before Washington dumped everybody. Tonight, Ranger Suarez against that lefty, oh, two lefties tonight, against that Patrick Corbin, who's a decent pitcher, but he I is. like it. All right, let's spend a minute talking about what happened this week because I heard some talk on the station that it wasn't enough. They should have made a big splash. You know, Juan Soto went to San Diego, and <laughs> what did we get? Um, I'll just I'll pitch it to you. I like what they got. Give me your assessment of these deals. I like what they got, too. I think Brandon Marsh is the kind of risk that you ought to be taking at the trade deadline, right? A controllable player with potential, uh, the Phillies, and I know this is kind of a common response when asked about a player who is perceived to be underachieving as a hitter. Well, we see something there that we can unlock, uh, and that's going to put a lot of pressure on Kevin Long, the Phillies hitting coach, to unlock the... the potential in Marsh's swing. But what he can do is play center field. He can track a ball down. And as anybody who has spent any time watching Odubel Herrera play center field over the last, what, six or seven years, uh, you know how valuable a skill that can be. Um, so in the main, I like that deal. Obviously, Noah Syndergaard is not the Noah Syndergaard who was with the Mets, who was, you know, throwing. Yeah, that was a pretty disturbing debut the other night. Yeah. 11 hits in five innings. Yeah. Was, and, and, and some and of those balls were hit right on the nail. They were. And that's what, you don't want 11 hits in five innings, but five innings is what you kind of are hoping for out of Syndergaard. Uh, I will say this, we didn't mention this in the open. It was fun to watch Kyle Gibson pitch. Oh yeah, shame. We, yeah. Last, uh, last night. Excuse me. Normally when a guy has a perfect game through six, we do bring it up, but and he, he did looked terrific. He he looked great. His ball had a lot of movement. Uh just as a as a kind of personal preference thing, it was so nice to be able to watch a major league baseball game where the starting pitcher was relevant for a long time <laughs> during yeah. the game. Uh, I think that's the biggest thing that baseball misses nowadays, but be that as it may, if you can get something close to that out of Kyle Gibson for the rest of the season, You'll take that. Is is he a guy you're going to count on in a short playoff series? Of course not. Not necessarily. But they got to get there first. I also really like the moves. Uh, I'll give you two reasons I really like the moves. One is you got rid of a lot of trash this week. Yes, uh, you, you know did. What tra- I, that's, that's a nasty way for me to say it. You got rid of a lot of flotsam this week. Is yeah. That, you, that better? You, you got rid of players who weren't helping you win. Right. Thank God Oduble is out of here. Yeah. He just – he was uh, a – Really dumb fundamental player for a lot of years. Um, I was sorry to see D.D. Gregorius kind of go out this way, but he's a spent, he's a shot player. Yes, he is. Maybe and he goes somewhere and, and it picks up again, but it wasn't going to be here. Familia was terrible when he was here. It was an awful signing this year. And Moniak, you know, I know he had a home run his first night. Hey, good luck to you. It wasn't going to happen here. That's what they gave up, and they didn't give up any of those prized prospects. So that's one thing that I was really delighted with. And the other one is this. 
for the last two, three, four years, the bullpen on this team has just been an anchor. It's been an albatross. It's awful. Bullpen's been doing a lot better this year. Sir Anthony has been pitching really well. Um, Andrew Bellotti, to yeah. me, looks like he's a pitcher. He's a name that nobody ever talks about, but I think he's actually a pitcher. Um, and now Alvarado versus lefties has been very good. And now you added, for the second time, mm-hmm. hopefully with better results, David Robertson came in, had a save. Mike, could it be, after all this time, that the bullpen is not a weakness but a strength for the Phillies? I think that's absolutely the case. Um, you know, I think it's interesting. The Robertson move is interesting to me because I think, in some people's minds, the default reaction to it is, oh, no, that guy was already here and it didn't go well, and now the Phillies are going back to that well. Yeah, been there, done that. Right. right. But. Look at David Robertson's career. He has been an excellent relief pitcher throughout his career. It might have just been bad timing and bad luck that he got hurt during his time with the Phillies. And he spoke openly, I I think even before the trade was made, where he said, you know, I wouldn't mind going back to Philadelphia. I feel like I left something there. There's unfinished business there. Uh, I feel like I owe them something. Uh And I think you're right, Glenn. We talked about this a little bit last week, the idea of, yeah, you can make a big splash and give up those prospects, or you can get a little more creative and think a little differently about how you try to improve the team. And yeah, you get Syndergaard, but in the absence of adding a really another, another real top flight starter, you bolster a strength, you make a strength stronger. And that's what they did with getting Robertson. As you said, the bullpen's been pretty good. Now it should be even better with Robertson. I really like what they did, and now it's just in the hands of those guys on the on the roster. Yeah, I feel very good about it. We we have been here in August before. We've been we've been here the last couple of years, and they have been in the race. But I do think it's different this year. First of all, for whatever reason, this manager's got them together. The interim manager, Rob Thompson, he could end up the manager of the year as an interim manager. Has that ever happened before? I think maybe Jack McKeon did it with the Marlins okay. in 03. Okay. I he, think. He was 78 years old at the time. <laughs> Something like that. Yeah. Okay. Uh, he was eating dinner at 4 o'clock, you know, three <laughs> hours before first pitch. Been there. Um, <laughs> but anyway, I, I am feeling very optimistic, very good about this team for everything we just mentioned. I think they're going to go to the playoffs. And once you get to the playoffs, anything can happen. Uh, this is just me. I think the telling moment. The underrated telling moment of this season so far, to me, happened a week ago Friday when Odubel Herrera made that base-running blunder against mm-hmm. the Pirates on Friday night. Now, it ended up not costing the Phillies anything. Uh, they ended up tying the game, going on to win it. But you could see Rob Thompson in that dugout demonstrably frustrated and angry with Odubel Herrera. Talk to him. Talk to him. And within a week, Odubel was out of here, finally. That's a great point. And... That, to me, kind of symbolizes where the Phillies are now and maybe why you ought to believe that this is real or at least realer than it was in 2018 or 2019. All 215-592-9494. 215-592-9494 if you want to talk to Mike or to me. I like that last point you made. That was really good. Okay, I want to throw in something else here. Um, we are six days away. From the Eagles preseason. You know how it always goes? And you, we might have talked about this a couple weeks ago. Um, no, probably not. We weren't doing shows a couple weeks ago. <laughs> I always look so forward to the start of training camp. 
And then three days into training camp, it's like, no, oh, this is boring. <laughs> when do we get the preseason? <laughs> right? They, they, you know, we're not learning anything in training camp. We're not seeing anything. 99.9% of the fans don't get to view it at all. So you wait. And when's the preseason? Okay, there's the preseason. Next Friday, it's going to start. Oh, we're going to get to watch everybody. And then the preseason is going to be all those guys who will not be on the team when the season starts. Some, right. you know, but it's the preseason, like, ugh, when's the season start? But next Friday night, New York Jets here at the link, Philadelphia Eagles. I will ask you, and I will ask our listeners, tell me something realistically that you are looking forward to seeing next Friday night. Okay, so two things that I personally am looking forward to seeing. I don't know how much we're going to see of the first team offense, so I think it's it's – it's easy to say I want to see Jalen Hurts. I'm not sure how much we're going to learn about Jalen Hurts and the Eagles offense from these three preseason games. I don't think we're going to see any Jalen Hurts. Uh, Do you? I think we might see a series or two at most. Okay. Um, the the two guys I want to see for different reasons are, number one is N'Kobe Dean, um, mm-hmm. who has not, he's been fine in training camp, but he is not been one of those guys where you say oh we've got to get the Eagles have to get this guy on the field Mm. he's looked okay uh but it's I want to see what happens when the lights are on and he's actually on the field in game situations because he was so good at Georgia uh I just want to see how what I saw from him in college compares to a facsimile of a Sunday in the NFL the other thing I want to see and this is kind of the way I'm wired the other guy I want to see is Jalen Rager. Oh, you stole my guy. Did you? Did yeah, I really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he stole one of my two. But yeah, go ahead, you go. J- just because yep. there is so much swirling around him. Yep. Former first round pick going against the backups throughout camp has made some plays, has gotten into it with people on Twitter. All of that. I want to see what he does. Is he really any better, or is this all just sound and fury? As my grandfather used to say, I don't know if people still use this this cliche, but my grandfather used to say, Glenny. It's time to fish or cut bait. <laughs> and I say, Grandpa, you don't fish. He says, yeah, well, you know what I mean. Uh, and it is for him. It is. Yeah. And there are guys who are pressing him. Look, he's behind A.J. Brown. He's behind Devonta Smith. He's behind Quez Watkins. He's behind Zach Pascal, right? Yeah. Who's done throwing up now? I sure hope oh, so. Oh, man, that guy had food poisoning. He, like, threw up for four days or oh, something. Oh. Okay. Nonetheless. Can we move on from yeah. that topic? Yeah, let's do it. So it's what, him versus John Hightower versus Greg Ward versus whoever, you know, shows up that we don't know about. Um, He's 50-50 to make the team, and he is a former first-round draft pick, and he has a ton to prove. So I agree with you. That's a great one, and he will get a lot of playing time. Yeah, yeah. Uh And I would be hesitant to keep him only because I have an irrational appreciation for Greg Ward. The, you too. N- not that he you should and be. A, not that he should be a number one, two, or three wide receiver. Just that I love his story, and I think the guy knows how to get open, and that's the kind of guy who should have a. And job. he's a good teammate. Yes. Yeah. Merrill loves him. Loves him. <laughs> loves him. Um, I would have no problem with Rager being out of here unless he plays really well, because I don't think his attitude is helping the team. Yeah, I don't think so. Either. And I don't think it ever has. And if you're the fourth, fifth wide receiver, and plus, I don't know how much he's going to play special teams. I need that guy to play special teams. I don't know if he can do that. The other guy that I really want to see, uh, you take Nicobe Dean, which is great. I'm going to take the first-round pick. I so much want to see the big boy. Out Jordan there. Yeah, Davis. Jordan Davis running out there in the middle of the defense, clogging it up, stopping guys, not being moved. You know, it's one of those things where, like, I don't care if he makes tackles. I just want it to be that 
He's there. They got to change direction. Somebody else makes the tackle. I'm really excited about Jordan Davis. When the draft was was occurring, we were broadcasting the draft, right? It, it was me and Ike and Elliot and so on, and we're all looking like, okay, who's falling? Who's getting mm-hmm. picked? What does this mean? And I'm thinking, Jordan Davis, man. I yeah. just want Jordan. And, and he stayed. They stayed there, and they got him. He's almost like it, it's – how can I put this? I'm very intrigued by the possibility of having Jordan Davis be a force on the defensive line and Jordan Mailata continue to be a force on the offensive line because they are the two biggest human beings I've ever encountered yeah. in my life. Huge. And it is it is remarkable to stand near them yeah. and understand what incredible athletes they are. I met Jordan Davis at uh, the Maxwell Clubs last year, right? Um, right the Maxwell Club, the one, in, the one over in Jersey. Yeah, yes. it was Maxwell yep. Club. That was it. Uh, where Ray got honored, mm-hmm. right? Who? And, yes. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Yeah, I, I hope so. <laughs> and um, Jordan Davis was the college defense player of the year. So, you know, I got to meet him when I was with Ray, and I shook his hand, and I'm telling you, it was like shaking hands with a baseball glove. Yeah. His hands were huge. Everything was huge. Love him. I Into do, too. Him. I'm, I'm really like curious. such a good kid. Yeah, I'm curious to see him, too. He seems a very outgoing guy, uh, kind of guy who, if he lives up to expectations as a first-round pick and becomes – a solid to terrific player becomes, you think, like the next iteration of a Brandon Graham kind of a guy because he has that kind of personality. All right, so we ask you this question. You know what you're going to, you know what you're probably not going to see during um, preseason. The Eagles are not going to play a lot of their first unit guys. I don't, Jalen Hurts, did he play at all in the preseason last year? I think he played a series or okay, two. Okay, well, then yeah. that's that's it. So realistically, we ask you, what do you want to see in the preseason? You know what the expectations are. You've been waiting for this. Who and what are you looking to see? 215-592-9494. Pete in Springfield starts us off. Hi there, Pete. Good morning, guys. How you feel? Doing great. Well, first of all, it's been a long time. I, I used to work at the Montgomery um, County Record. Uh, way back in the day, and uh, I had actually met and worked with Mike Grove back when. Pete, so it's great to hear I, from you. Yes, it's been a long time. Back days of uh, Nick Fierro and uh, and Ira Joseph and all them and uh, Wayne and so forth. So great um, guys, uh, great guys, right? Well, I'm calm. I know I I I'm not here to defend Odubel. Okay, but I am going to tell you that they still have a little bit of a weak link. Now, I, I love him as his attitude, and he's. A, Obviously, he's, he leads the team in home runs. But if you take the home runs away from Kyle Schwarber, he's the biggest bust that you've ever had. Okay. If Kyle you take Schwarber, the home runs away from the the league leading with thirty two now, yes, thirty four, thirty four. Excuse me, on pace for forty five uh, at least. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. That, that means a lot. You you understand so. that on its face, and you seem like a nice guy, and Mike's not going to want to insult you, so I will. <laughs> on its face, it's a ridiculous statement to say if you take away all those home runs. That's like saying if you take away the fifty touchdown passes that Dan Marino had that year, he did nothing. Yeah, well, guess what? When you have more home runs than you actually have hits, okay, and you and you're on pace to come to. Major league leader ever in strikeout, okay? And you're leading off and you're hitting 203, okay? Mm. Now, and, and also in the outfield, he's probably worse than O'Double, okay? The well, he's not playing center field. That, the alligator arms, everything that comes to him. He, wow, so, this is the, the anti Schwarber uh, agenda uh, here is very surprising. Want, if a ball, comes, the ball is, is coming tracking toward him, 
and, and he knows he can't get it. He just waves his arm at it. Yeah. Alligator arms. Okay. By the way, he's on pace for 51 home runs. There you go. Uh, I, which, I undersold him. Which isn't what? so bad. He's on pace for 100 runs scored, 100 RBIs. Um, and, and he's had like six walks in the last three weeks. Uh, he has 57 walks in 104 games. That puts him on pace for about 80. Not bad. Yeah, Leads the team in walks. I'm okay. saying, but All right. Hey, listen. We we got your point of view. Um, I think it's ridiculous, but I will admit, 204 is not what I'm looking to see out of him. And he's a defensive sieve. But we, we need if, the defensive it, part. Yeah, and if every hit he gets travels 425 feet, I think you'll take that. Um, yeah. You know, uh, look. I think it's uh, to your point, Glenn. It's kind of like complaining. That if you take away the Academy Award winning performances of Robert De Niro, he isn't much of an actor. Yeah, well, I did see Dick Tracy, and that, <laughs> that would support That's that Pacino. point. That's not Robert De Niro. Oh, he wasn't in that. That's yeah. right. Okay, well, he made a lot of bad movies too. But he did. Good, good point by you. Okay, so the point I thought he was going to make was he's not a good leadoff hitter. I don't know why he chose to defend Odubel as part of it because he and Odubel didn't play the same position. It's it's a whole different thing. They don't have a leadoff hitter, which is problematic. Is there is there looking at the guys they have? Is there somebody you would put in the leadoff spot? No, we we, we batted this around last I know. week, I know. and uh, there really isn't anyone else who fits the bill. Now, I suppose if they are able to fix Brandon Marsh's swing, quote unquote, fix his swing, he would be the kind of guy maybe that you could put up there. But he strikes out a lot. Uh, he, you know, and you've got a ways to go before you can even think about putting him at the top of the lineup. So in the absence of anyone else, Kyle Schwarber is leading the National League in home runs as a leadoff hitter. Leave him there as a leadoff hitter. Yeah, you get more at bats that way anyway. Okay, yeah. I agree. All right, so I, I, I would say that uh, maybe he was not in Dick Tracy, but he was in Dirty Grandpa, and uh, that's terrible. Th- that was that was yeah. worst performance. That's pretty bad. Struggling to come up with yeah. something, but that was the one. That's All a right. good question. Like, what was the last great movie Robert De Niro was in? Was it The Irishman? Yeah, which wasn't great, but it was good. It was pretty solid. It was a lot long. Of people, yeah, it was that. I think it's still going. Two one five five nine two ninety four ninety four two one five five nine two ninety four ninety four batting around the Phillies uh, and uh, whatever whatever your thoughts are on that and also the preseason um, what do you want to see Eagles play next Friday it's six days away you've been waiting for it going to be sixty five thousand people there what are you hoping to see with Mike Sealski I'm Glenn Mack now on ninety four WIP. 11 can be a really a real treat dan baker is going to join us the phillies honored dan last night for 50 years as the pa announcer and um mike you know him i know him he's just he's he's a character and he's a great guy i have a terrific story about dan back from when i was a kid oh uh, nice that should uh that i'll bring up with him and that hopefully i think gets to the heart of who he is nice well we're gonna we're gonna have him uh coming up uh we have a what we're watching with by the way a new sounder very excited about oh yeah very excited about that we'll talk about dick vermeil getting into the hall of fame today uh we will soon get into the eagles run versus pass situation but let's get mike from yardley up here first good morning mike hey good morning my uh mike and glenn i've never talked to mike before but and I've been gone for a month out west, so I've, I've missed a lot of what's happened in the last month. But 
I'm going to start off with the Phillies. It's so great to have a team that you can follow, that you can see as being legitimately competitive. Uh, I don't know where the Schwarber hate came from. He's the first batter. He's going to get more at-bats than anybody, and if the only thing he does is hit home runs. That's like uh, Buddy yeah. Ryan talking about... Chris Carter. Yes, exactly. All he does is catch touchdowns. Thank you. <laughs> I'll take it. I'll take it. The other thing is is that, you know, as good as um, Gibson was last night, you got to figure we've got three outstanding starters and a bunch of guys who might be competing for that third spot as well. You know, they're, they're set up to have a really good playoff run if only Bryce Harper can come back and be Who's the, who's the, the, uh, the third great starter? Who's your given as a great starter? Well, I'm not given as a great starter, but uh, I, I have missed Ranger Suarez mm-hmm. for a month, but when I look at the stats, he looks like he's been unhittable for his last three or four games. You know, he's obviously not as good this season as he was last season, and it was it would be unreasonable to have expected him to be that good. Um, yep. I mean, his ERA was under two. It was insane. Yeah. Um, but, you know, Glenn and I were talking about this last week. We love a crafty lefty because there are so few of them left in Major League Baseball anymore. And I, I believe Suarez gives opposing hitters a look that any more they don't encounter all that much. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I haven't watched his really good games lately, but, you know, it's, has he given up an earned run his last three starts? I mean, it's pretty remarkable. He's been, he's been excellent. I, I don't count on him, obviously, no. the way I do with Nolan Wheeler, but I get your point, and he was that good last year. And if he hasn't, listen, if he or Syndergaard or, or, Gibson. or Gibson get it together, if, if one of those three get it together and you go into the playoffs with three good starters, you can get by with a mediocre fourth starter. What's your Eagles point? The Eagles point, uh, the guys that I'm interested in watching, is the synergy between Jordan Davis and Nicobe Dean. Now, I don't know how many years they played, how many seasons they played at Georgia, but they played together a lot. And they know each other. They know what each one's going to do, and I think that the sum of the two parts is greater than whatever, you know, that that adage. I think they could be really, really good and surprisingly good. I, it's, it, listen, I think it's a great point. Dean was the guy you wanted to see. Davis is the guy I want to see. You got the two best players from the best defense in the country who have played together. It will be something to see them when they click. Yeah, I mean, the man I'm trying to replace here, Ray Dittinger, called that Georgia defense the best he had seen in college football in, what, 25 years or something like that. Um, So, yeah, absolutely worth watching. To Mike's previous point, he was correct. Ranger Suarez has not allowed an earned run in any of his last three wow. starts. There you go. All right. Earlier this week, Angelo Cataldi and the morning team went to practice. They interviewed Nick Sirianni, and this conversation took place. There's a story in the Inquirer today saying, ideally, you'd like to run it a little less and throw the ball a little more. I don't know where they got that. No, you don't? I never told them no, that. No, you didn't. Because all, all right. my secrets are, yeah. I don't have, okay. I, I'm keeping everything in-house. You're not right? saying anything. I'm not saying it. Why would I say anything, right? Because then the teams that we're going to play are going to know something. Okay, it's a bit of a non-denial denial, as they say. Yes. Uh, the story he's referring to is written by... Do we know this clown? You. Yeah, oh. Uh, oh. Which was an excellent column. <laughs> but they really kind of started off with the, with the point that running backs are disposable and, you know, they, they aren't um, 
appreciated as they used to be and maybe they shouldn't be. And you kind of transition from that into the Eagles were great at running the ball last year. It worked, but clearly their moves in the offseason are designed to go another direction. Yeah, I, I wasn't suggesting in the column that I had spoken to Nick Sirianni and that Nick had told me, we don't want to run the ball more. That was not the point of the column. That conversation never happened. Uh, what I was saying was that the Eagles' overriding philosophy, the way they think about offense, is that they want to throw the ball first and foremost. And that's basically been true since Jeffrey Lurie became the team's owner and particularly since Howie Roseman has been in charge of player personnel and strategy and all that kind of stuff. Um, and so the point of the column was, as well as the Eagles ran the ball last season, again, they don't really want to play that way. Uh, and if you look at where they've put their money in investing in players and their draft picks and those sorts of things, you can see that they want to throw the ball. You spend a first-round pick on Devontae Smith, you trade for A.J. Brown, you give Dallas Goddard a long contract extension, they want to throw the ball. I have no disagreement with yeah, that. And, and I have no argument with that, and I think that they have the opportunity to have a balanced offense, which would be delightful. It would be great, and it, again comes down to the quarterback. Um, you know, go back to those first seven games of last season. They didn't go into last season saying, you know, we have a great offensive line. We're just going to pound teams to death. They went into last season thinking, we're going to throw the ball. That's what we do, and we're going to see if Jalen Hurts can do it. And through seven games last season, they were 2-5, and five, and Jalen Hurts was not a productive quarterback. And so they changed what they were doing out of necessity. Uh, it remains to be seen. Why did it work so well? The running game? Yeah. You have a tremendous offensive line. That's exactly right. You have a good variety of running backs uh, in Boston Scott and Miles Sanders and last season Jordan Howard. And I think you'd see, you'll see more of Kenny Gainwell this year. But again, it almost doesn't matter who the running backs are when the line is that good. Mm-hmm. Okay. I, I, I agree with you. And I'm excited to see... I'm excited to see a balance. I'm very excited to see the team. I'm I'm so excited. I'm flustered. Okay. I'm excited for a few <laughs> things. I'm excited because I Somebody think, get Glenn a glass of ice water. There you go. I think the defense is going to be that much better with the acquisitions. They had him. We'll find out if Jonathan Gannon is a good coach this year. And my inclination is to think he is. And he's going to have guys that he can employ to do various schemes rather than the vanilla they did last year. I'm very excited for the offense because you do come back with the best line in football. We all agree on that. And barring injuries, that's going to stay that way. You have a nice platoon of running backs, depth guys, as you said, guys who bring different skills to it, all of whom are talented. Hey, I like Boston Scott, and I don't even know how much he's going to play, and I think he's very good. You have a top-flight tight end um, and depth at that position. You have... Now, a guy who comes in who's one of the A.J. Brown, one of the top ten receivers in the league, fair to say? I might even put him in the top five. Okay, there you go. And he comes with a second-year guy who is explosive, can run patterns, has speed, and has good hands. And all of that together says this is going to work. Dot, dot, dot. However... Hurts. However, and that's what we don't know. <laughs> we don't know. And it's... I know it's discussed every day on every show, and I hate to, to just beat the dead horse, but it is. The whole thing rides on it. And and it's kind of scary if you're an Eagles fan, right? Um, it's interesting if you cover the team and can take a step back from it and say, okay, I want to see what Jalen Hurts is. I want to see what he does. Uh, off the field, 
in the intangible things on the field. He does everything right. Uh, and yet we don't know what he's going to be once the spotlight comes on. And again, I've said this in the past. So much of this comes down to the modern NFL and A, the salary cap, because he makes he's costing them less than $2 million under the cap this mm-hmm. year, which is why they were able to make so many of these additions and improvements. And then the modern NFL is about throwing the ball. And mm-hmm. the Eagles believe in that. And so at some point, if you're going to contend with the top teams in the NFC, the Rams and presumably the 49ers, if you know Trey Lance becomes what they think he's going to be, uh, and whoever else, the Packers, you have to be able to move the ball down the field and your quarterback has to be able to make throws in important situations, and we have not seen that yet from Jalen Hurts. Okay, so you've been to training camp a couple times. Um, I, I'm, I'm reading uh, and hearing different reports from training camps. Uh, you know, the kids had a bad day, threw three interceptions, and I, 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 I read Ruben Frank earlier this week, who's a guy whose opinion I really trust, and he said, hey, it looks actually pretty good. He's had more good days than bad days. Do you have an assessment based on what you've seen? Because I'm always really reluctant off of anything in camp and even most things in preseason to make two large adjustments because that's when you're learning it. That's where you're getting together. That's where they're trying different things. I have not. I've been to camp two or three times. I The frustrating part about covering the team and analyzing it through looking at Hurts is that we haven't seen anything one way or another that says he is different from what he was last season mm-hmm. or that has reaffirmed what everybody already thinks of him. I'll give you an example of what I mean. I don't know if you saw this on social media yesterday, but there was a report uh, out of Washington about an anecdote at Washington Commanders yeah, practice yeah, yes. about Carson Wentz. Yes. Okay, During a drill, I, I don't know if it was 7-on-7 seven seven or whatever it was, Carson Wentz drops back. He's rolling out, and he's getting chased by a defensive line. Montez Sweat. Montez Sweat. Yeah. And while Sweat is chasing him, Sweat is saying to Wentz, throw it away, throw it away, throw it And Wentz doesn't throw it away. Runs out of bounds. Runs out of bounds. Yes. That is the sort of anecdote that is telling. That, that lets you know this is who Carson Wentz is. It reaffirms the reality of him as a quarterback. There hasn't been anything yet that I've seen where you look at Jalen Hurts and say, okay, now we know what kind of quarterback he is and is going to be. That just has not happened yet to my eyes in training camp, which is why there's this air of mystery around him heading into September 11th I in agree. Detroit. I think we don't know. Yeah. I think we don't know. And I listen, I appreciate Elliot. Please understand, I'm not knocking Elliot here because he tracks every pass every year, and I admire his diligence in doing it. But if Jalen Hurts is 8 for 15 with a touchdown and interception in a practice in July, I don't know what to make of that. I'll say this, Glenn. There was, there was, and again, you're right about focusing too much on one play in practice. There was one play at the most recent practice I was at where Hurts rolled out in a drill and threw deep, and the pass was batted away. And it was one of those plays where you watch him and you go, yeah, he can run, but when it comes to throwing the football... It, it took a bit for him to get the ball down the field where you look at Wentz and the natural athletic gifts that Wentz has, it would have been an easier throw. I'm not suggesting that Carson Wentz is better or that, 
you know, well, he would have made a smart decision. Nobody's going to argue you that. You can see why talent people become infatuated with a guy like Wentz and why they question whether Hurts can do it. Well, Wentz was the second pick of the draft. Exactly. Hurts was a second rounder in the draft, and that will uh, there, there's a reason for that. 215-592-9494. Coming up, we can do a little tribute to Vin Scully. Uh, coming up at 11 o'clock, Dan Baker will join us, Philly's PA announcer who was honored last night. Looking forward to that. Hey, when the summer heat, uh, excuse me, the summer heat means it's that time of year to crank up the AC. Now, to keep your home cooling more efficiently and to help save you on high energy bills, I suggest you go Guida and finally replace your old drafty inefficient windows and doors with the great people at Guida Door and Window. Right now, Guida is offering the best discounts of the year with their big 40% off summer sale on all expertly installed windows and doors. You'll receive 40% off each window you buy. That's right, 40% off all high-performance, energy-efficient, triple-pane windows and you'll receive 40% off any door, including insulated entry doors, patio doors, garage doors, and storm doors. Plus, get your project started today with no money down. Pay it off interest-free for up to 12 full months. All prior sales excluded. Minimum purchase required. Don't let these big discounts... Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. 9.46 p.m. Two and two to Harvey Keene. One strike away. Sandy into his windup. Here's the pitch. Swung out and missed a perfect game. Okay, that's that's an old clip. And I could have used any clip to set up Vin Scully and our little tribute here to him. But I chose one. And I know it is, oh gosh, it's more than 50 years old. It's Sandy Koufax's perfect game, 1965, I think, against the Cubs. And the reason I did that is because I invite everybody today to go onto YouTube and just Google the ninth inning of that game, which is only about six minutes long because 
Sandy Koufax is going to get everybody out. And the way Vin Scully does that is so poetic, and it, he paints the picture. He doesn't overspeak. Um, he sets the moment, sets the time. And he passed away this week, which is obviously why we're doing it. And, uh, Mike, I, I just want to give us each an opportunity to talk about him a little bit because I think that Vin Scully is the best there ever was. I agree with you. Uh, and I would take it, in a way, kind of a step further. I can remember watching game one of the 1988 World Series between the Dodgers and the Oakland Athletics. Now, two years earlier, the Mets win the World Series, and, of course, you have Scully calling the game for NBC on TV with Joe Garagiola and that iconic call of behind the bag, it gets by through Buckner, et cetera, et cetera. By the way, you know where I watched that game? I watched that game from the Wyndham Franklin Plaza Hotel as I was interviewing to write for the Inquirer. Is that right? That's the weekend I came in to, yeah, to do my job interview with the Inquirer. We, we both have uh, interesting Inquirer interview stories. Okay. I was interviewing for my job at the Inquirer as Charlie Manuel was being fired by the Phillies. Oh, the Wawa bag. Yes. Okay. Anyway, go anyway, ahead. So, Vin. Yeah, game one of the 88 World Series, if you remember it, it is Kirk Gibson hitting the home run off of Dennis Eckersley in the bottom of the ninth inning. And to me, that is the most dramatic and memorable TV sports moment in history. I know some people will say hmm. the miracle on ice in 1980 and, mm-hmm. you know, do you believe in miracles? But if you go back and watch that the entirety of that game, and in particular the ninth inning, the way Vince Scully shepherds the viewers through the possibility that Gibson is going to come up and he is injured, and the way he takes you through that at-bat and the drama just builds and builds and builds. And then when Gibson hits the ball over the fence... He goes quiet for 66 seconds and lets you exist in that moment and then comes back with, in a year which has been so improbable, the impossible has happened. And it is the perfect line to capture what was going on with that Dodgers team at that time. I agree with you. I think he's the best there ever was. You know, the resume of everything he did is incredible to read. I mean, he he called most of Jackie Robinson's yes. career, and then he called most of Clayton Kershaw's career. That's how long it spanned. He called the Hank Aaron, 715. You mentioned the Gibson thing, 25 World Series. He did football. He called the catch in 1981. Um, he was, to me, more than anything, kind of – Kind of the reminder, the steward of what baseball was at its at its peak. Um, he's the guy who brought you back to to simpler times uh, in a certain way. If that makes any sense, he was a time machine, but he wasn't a guy who got stale. No, and if you read the tributes to him coming out of Los Angeles and the people who knew him well, I think two things stand out apart from just his excellence as a broadcaster. Number one, and I met him briefly in 2010 when I was covering baseball and was covering a series in Los Angeles. By all accounts, he was a prince of a man. Yeah. Just absolutely a terrific, same, terrific human being. I met him for 30 seconds. And then the other thing kind of tied delightful. to that mm-hmm. is you hear the word and read the word friend being used a lot to describe the relationship between him and the viewers and the listeners. And of course, w- when you... Think of that dynamic locally. You think of Harry Callis and Richie Ashburn. You think of Tom McCarthy on TV now and Scott Fransky on the radio mm-hmm. now. And that is a dynamic that is very difficult to capture. 
and yet is so essential to broadcasting baseball. When you, uh, and I told everybody, go back and listen to that ninth inning of the Koufax no-hitter. And I'm, I'm telling you, it'll take you, you know, six minutes. But after that, listen to Fransky calling the last out of Halliday's game uh, against the no-hitter in the playoffs against the Reds. Mm-hmm. And Fransky sets it up the same way. And, yeah. and get, sets the moment perfectly. I think Fransky is terrific. The last thing I'll say about him, and it's kind of what we're saying, one of the things I liked about him is he, I mean, he was a wordsmith. He was a poet. He, he could contemporaneously speak, work by himself, and just tell you stories and keep you in the game. There were no hot takes. There were no stupid catchphrases. You know, there was no needless, well, he's by himself, but even with somebody else, there's no like, no, I'm on this side, you're on that side. There was none of that. <laughs> he was just a genuine guy and a great broadcast. There's a moment that you can find on YouTube of him calling a game between the, the Dodgers and the Giants, and Madison Bumgarner is pitching for the Giants. And Scully tells a story about Bumgarner that is so remarkable, you have to listen to it. I don't want to give it away. Okay. But what's even more remarkable is the way that he is able to weave in the action of the game so seamlessly as he is telling the story and he ties a bow on it with a moral. It's it's really remarkable and he's someone who it's fortunate we're going to be able to listen to him and that we have YouTube and these clips, you know, such as the one you played with him calling the Koufax perfect game because a, a voice like Vince Scully's, a voice like Harry Callis's, they never die. That's great. The best there ever was. Uh, let's talk to, is it Anita or Anitra in Anitra. Collegeville? Hello? Yes, it's Anitra. Hey, Anitra. Me? Yeah, we got you. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Great. Hi, Anitra. So, hi. So, um, just a couple of things. Um, as far as I heard you guys talking about Jalen in practice, mm-hmm. and um, what I think Eagles fans should love in, in every practice, every year, is that the quarterback doesn't look good all the time. And I know that may sound crazy, but if he looks good all the time, I mean, think about it. I would be extremely worried about our defense. <laughs> That's a good way to look at so, it. So it's, it's really, it really should be, in my eyes at least, 50-50. The offense should look great. The defense should look great. So those picks. I hear you, but let me ask you a question. And I I understand, neither Mike or I are among those who are panicking about this. But (laughs) who is the single most important player on the Eagles this year, Anitra? Obviously the quarterback. Yeah, so you It's just that that if he's getting picked off, I want to see a, a defensive player. I want to see a cornerback. I want to see someone, um you know, pick off his, his ball at least, at least once or twice, because if, if the offense looks totally polished, everything looks kosher. Yeah. Then you're worried about the defense. What do you have? What do you you have on Dick Vermeil? As far as Dick Vermeil, um, didn't he, 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 the Eagles to the Super Bowl in 1980, right? Correct. So it's, it's 2022. I was shocked when they said that he was, inducted in the hall of fame um because i just knew he was already like why did it take so long do you, do you guys know that they yeah I didn't sure. hear anybody's, no we'll, you know, we'll, ex- we'll explain it to you sure um well one of the things kind of working against him uh anitra was that if you look at his overall coaching record it's very good but it's not 
spectacular. Uh, and there are reasons for that. Uh, he took over teams that were terrible when he got there. And by their third season, he made them terrific. In fact, that was kind of the big factual point that eventually got him into the hall. You couldn't just look at his overall coaching record and say, this was an incredible coach. You had to dig a little deeper and understand how bad the Eagles were when he got there and how good he made them. Same thing with the St. Louis Rams or the Kansas City Chiefs. I think that that goes a long way to explaining why it took Vermeil so long to get there. And not a lot of coaches get in. Right. It's tough for coaches to get in. It's the, I think the voters have gotten more conscious of it in recent years and kind of separated it out and mm-hmm. do it better, but it's difficult for coaches. Again, you did a terrific piece on Vermeil this week. It was on the front page of the Inquirer. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I should Thanks. tell people they should go and read it. And we'll talk about Dick uh, when we, certainly when we talk to Dan Baker, we'll talk uh, a little bit more about Dick. Uh, Robert, Washington Township, you're on with Mike Sealski and Glenn Mack now. Good morning, guys. How you doing? Hey, hey Weezy, it's me, Bad Love, your favorite poster. Uh, <laughs> Hi, Robert. How are you? I'm good, sir. Hey, listen, I wanted to talk about, real quick, Philly, but I had another thing to add on to that, because, uh, Mike, the thing you t- when you were talking about that Gibson uh, home run, I was in California then, and I remember that. Um, and I want to tell you, there was like a backstory to that in a little bit, where when he first got out there, they had a lefty reliever that had been around forever, and they put black inside his cap, like in the first like preseason or spring training, whatever. Mm-hmm. And when Gibson came off and took his cap off and saw that, yes. he was furious. Yes. And he was like, this isn't what I signed up for. I'm not here to play around and have, play games and stuff. I'm here to win a World Series. I think he set the tone early. Yeah, you know, with- that 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 season, Gibson was actually the National League MVP that year, and it wasn't because he had the greatest offensive season of anybody in the league. It was because of what he did intangibly and tangibly to take the Dodgers from kind of a group of also rants to a team that won the World Series. I, if I don't remember too many of the guys, I remember Mickey Hatcher. He, I mean, he had a really good World you, Series. And remember- you would look at that roster and be stunned at that team winning a championship, other than Gibson and Oral Hershiser, who was incredible that year. I was going to say they had some degree of a pitching staff, right? Yeah, they, Tim Belcher was like their number two starter, mm-hmm. um, I think. I knew Gibson because uh, I moved here from, from Detroit, so I knew mm-hmm. him when I wrote for the Detroit Free Press, and he was a young player in mm-hmm. Detroit. I, mean, I was there during the 84 World Series. He oh. hits the dramatic home run off yep. of Goose Gossage. Um but he was intense. Oh, yeah. And he was, you know, he, he could be, you know who he was? Remember Dave Hollins here? Oh, sure. He was that kind of player. But that team, he was the young guy. So they had the Al Hollins and the Lou Whitakers and the Jack Morrises and the Dan Petries and the Chet Lemons and the veteran players. And so he could kind of be intense without rocking the boat too much. I think by the time he got to L.A., he still had the intensity, but he was more mature. He was more of a leader. Yeah, and uh, kind of... I don't want to say humorless, but bringing a sense of urgency. Let's yeah. put it that way. Yeah, he wasn't team. there to screw around. Right. Yeah, absolutely. 215-592-9494. If you're on hold, stick around. We will get you in the next segment. We invite others to join. But we're going to have the pleasure of talking to Dan Baker, honored last night for 50 years. 50 years, Mike. Remarkable. I saw those pictures of him at the beginning with the like 1970s you know, sport jackets on, <laughs> big wide ties and... What do I have to do Great to put you in this vehicle? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, we're going to talk to him coming up. Mike and Glenn on 94. Batting third, number eight, center fielder Shane Victorino. You know, Mike Sielski, I have had lengthy discussions with friends over the years as to 
what's your favorite Dan Baker name? Which is, of all of the Phillies who have played over the years, and Dan Baker has announced hundreds and hundreds of names, if not more, what's the name you like to hear the most? And I think that was mine. I'm thinking back to being a kid, uh, growing up watching the Phillies in the 80s, and I think my favorite Dan Baker name was probably one that was a favorite of Harry Callis's too, that Juan Samuel. Ah, well, there you go. Well, we are honored uh, to be joined by Dan Baker right now. Uh, last night, the Phillies had a terrific celebration of Dan's 50 years as the ballpark voice of the Phillies. Dan, it was, it was really, it was tremendous to see you there with your wife and your daughter, and I thought you gave an inspired speech and... I just got to tell you, from my, my perspective, it was, it was a perfect night to honor you. Well, thank you very much, Glenn and Mike and Kyle. Uh, it, it was a lot of fun last night, and the Phillies have a great tradition, and uh, I'm so proud to be a small part of it. I just want to set up some of the numbers here because it's pretty astounding. As we said, you're in your 50th year as the ballpark voice. Uh, there are only two who have ever done it longer the record is 59 seasons by Pat Piper of the Cubs from 1916 to 1974. Dan, you got another decade in you, I have no doubt. Uh, Matt Gelb of The Athletic did a piece and estimated by the end of the year, Dan will have announced 4,000 Phillies games, 300,000 batters, and said the names of almost 20% of all major league hitters ever to take an at-bat. Dan, when you hear that about yourself, how does that make you feel? It's just a function of being around for a long time. Um, and, uh, of course, I'm very, very proud to be associated with the Phillies. Uh, I fell in love with them from the time my father first took my brother Rick and me to a Phillies game in 1954 at Connie Mack Stadium. Always wondered... Uh, how I could be a regular participant, uh, perhaps like you guys, you know, as a young kid, I'm thinking in terms of me being a player. And mm-hmm. then, of course, become uh, reality sets in for most of us, I guess, in our teen years. And, you know, I guess I'm not going to be a professional athlete. And I thought, uh, well, I still would like to go to those games, though. All that green grass, that excitement the sounds, the smells, the Phillies, you know, oh, yeah. it was just great. And uh, uh, luckily things worked out. Dan, I have a question I think people would be curious to know the answer to. How did you become the voice, the ballpark voice of the Phillies? Well, it was really a, a stroke of good luck. Um, Pat Cassidy, uh, who was the uh, chief press box steward for the Eagles, and I started out in the late 60s when I was still in college at Glassboro State undergrad, um, keeping statistics and spotting for visiting announcers. Um, And then uh, uh, Mr. Cassidy would see me get there early, and I'd get my box lunch, you know, and I think was making my $15 a game. And (laughs) son, what what do you want to do? Said, oh, I'd, uh, you know, I'm hoping uh, to be a play-by-play announcer someday. And uh, he said, well, you know, the Phillies are thinking 
of uh, changing uh, PA announcers. We're not committed to doing that yet. This was after the first year of the vet, 1971. And he said, uh, my, bo- my boss, Bill Giles, will make that call. And uh, So you immediately bribed Bill Giles. Oh, no, no, no bribery <laughs> here. <laughs> uh, but uh, Pat Cassidy was kind enough to uh, suggest me to Bill Giles as an up-and-coming sportscaster who um, had a baseball background. And um, he said, uh, Mr. Cassie gave me his card. He said, you give me a call next week, and I'll see if I can set this interview up for you. So I called him the following week, and Pat Cassidy said, I've got, you've got the interview. All you have to do is call Bill and make the appointment. Oh, Mr. Cassidy, thank you so much. What an opportunity. I had actually, uh, Glenn and Mike, written to the Phillies, written to Larry Shank several times before this, inquiring about opportunities. Of course, probably one of just hundreds of letters that Larry would have received. I always got a a polite reply, but it was usually that there's no openings this time. Mm -hmm. You know, thank Mm -hmm. you for your interest. So anyway, so in the fall of 71, I interviewed with Bill Giles. Bill is uh, just a great baseball man, as you know, and a great showman. And uh, the main thing that Bill wanted to know is that I knew baseball. And uh, it seemed to me in our interview almost as important as uh, having a good speaking voice Mm -hmm. and... uh, talking clearly and enunciating properly, Bill wanted someone who would also run the game-in-progress scoreboard. Right. Wow. Balls, strikes, outs, runs, hits, errors. And uh, so he was asking me some baseball questions. And he said, uh, is this something you think you could handle? And uh, I said, Mr. Giles... If you hire me, I will be the quickest and most accurate in baseball. And, you know, I've been in interviews where I've said the wrong thing, and I knew I just knocked myself out of the water. But I, but I looked at Mr. Giles' face when I said that, and I think, and I knew I said the right thing. And you did, and of course, I'm sorry, you did that for many, many years. Um, let me ask you this. You're, probably other than Merrill Reese, your voice is the most imitated in town. Every kid playing wiffle ball, you know. They get up, you know, now batting, and they do it. Joe Conklin does it well. I don't. But everybody does it. Do people come up to you imitating you, and do you think they ever sound like you? Some do. Joe Conklin certainly does. Yeah. Uh, there, uh, you know, there are a few. It's like I used to imitate Dave Zinkoff all the time. As oh, a kid yeah, up. sure. Uh, and, uh, you know, they say that uh, imitation is the most sincere form of flattery. So I take it as a high compliment. And uh, I thank people for uh, trying to imitate me and, and uh, take it as a compliment. Dan, there are obviously players who have come through the Phillies who have been here a long time, who fans are familiar 
with you saying their names again and again. You think about, you know, Mike Schmidt or Michael Jack Schmidt. You think about Chase Utley, Ryan Howard, these sorts of guys. Are there certain names of Phillies players who you didn't get to say all that often, but really, really liked to say when you got the chance to, a guy who was only here a short period of time or something along those lines? Yeah, there are probably a few like that. Uh, Mike, I none seem to come to mind right at the moment. Uh, but there are, uh, apart from number 19, left fielder Greg Luzinski, <laughs> or number 12, second baseman Nicky Morandini. Uh, there's a lot of other names that I enjoy saying. When, when people ask me, uh, Glenn and Mike, uh, about my favorite names, I usually try to put it in a generic uh, uh, answer uh, that I like the polysyllabic names uh, because the multiple syllables lend themselves to a more melodic interpretation. I I would just, sorry, Dan, I don't mean to interrupt, but I would just like to point out that's probably the first time in sports talk radio history someone has used the word polysyllabic (laughs) on the air. I'm thinking uh, Nick Castellanos was a good signing for you. Yes, yes. Give me one, please. Now batting for the Phillies, right fielder Nick Castellanos. Yeah, that's great. You know, Gary Matthews said... He is. I know you're. You're saying it with a little more enthusiasm. Um, when um, I, I, Gary Matthews once said that when he heard you announce his names, it gave him goosebumps. That had to make you feel good. It sure does. Uh, of course, I'm a big fan of Sarge. Sarge is here this weekend. And to me, uh, Glenn and Mike, this is the greatest regular season weekend year in and year out with the Phillies. Alumni weekend and Wall of Fame night, and it's really exciting at the ballpark. I'll tell you, it was electric there last night. Dan, I want to tell our listeners just a quick anecdote. When I was a senior at uh, LaSalle University in the fall of 1996, I was able to travel to cover a couple basketball tournaments that the men's team was playing, and you at the time were the play-by-play voice of the Explorers. Uh, And I was, you know, a 21-year-old kid nervous as heck to meet you and I don't know if you remember this you actually had me keep stats for you during those broadcasts um, so I kind of wanted to say thank you for treating a young snot-nosed kid who wanted to get into this business uh, with so much graciousness it was my pleasure Mike and you know uh, I'm sure this is true uh, of Glenn as well um, I had a lot of people help me along the way and I, I have tried to reach out and help young people, um, you know, especially if someone asks for my help. But um, I think we all need some assistance uh, along the way. And um, you never know uh, when somebody can help open a door. And I try to encourage people to network and get as much experience as they can. Because you never know when that door is going to open for you. Absolutely. You pay it forward. Dan, one more thing. I think people know that you've gone through some health issues, some cancer, some radiation treatments. Uh, You look great last night. You sound terrific this year. You doing well? I'm doing well. Um, I had a couple of surgeries uh, July 15th and 16th. 
I'm actually going to have another uh, minor surgery, uh, an outpatient surgery next Friday. Um, it's going to be a, a, a little skin graft uh, from my leg to my arm. But um, I've just received wonderful, wonderful care. The doctors, the nurses, the medical staff at Jefferson, the otolaryngology department, the infectious disease department, my uh, case was a pretty complex one, but I, I just think the doctors have been brilliant, and uh, here I am. Uh, what a fortunate person uh, am I uh, to continue my Phillies career, to be with my family and friends, uh, and to be on this wonderful, wonderful Saturday radio show <laughs> Thank with you. Glenn Macnow and Mike Sealski. I've been listening to your show, Glenn, with Ray Didinger, uh, my wife and I almost never miss a Saturday, and uh, I'm glad to see you have another great partner to team up with. Well, thank you. Thank so, you, Dan. So nine years from Pat Piper's record, and uh, I am counting on it. I'm counting on uh, talking to you then. Uh, one last request, our producer Kyle, who you were so nice to, says his favorite ever. Kyle, who was your favorite ever? My favorite was Carlos Ruiz. Can you give him one before you go? Now batting for the Phillies, number 51, catcher, Carlos Ruiz. Oh, it's so great. Dan, um, congrats. We wish you and your wife and your family the best, and thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you very much, Glenn and Mike. All right. Thank you, Dan. Have a great one. He's the greatest guy. He's He's uh, an absolute gem. He's the greatest guy. You know, there are not many people anywhere but in our town who you can say, everybody likes this guy. Everybody. Everybody likes him. And we didn't even get into the other aspect of his career, oh, which yeah. is college basketball in yeah, the city he was, of Philadelphia. He was big. He was the director of the Big Five. Saw, games. saw all those coaches there last exactly. night. Phil Martelli comes back. Jay was there. Yep. yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Love him. Uh, let's get Jake in Collingswood. You're on with Mike and Glenn. Hey, Jake. Good morning. Um, I hope Dan is still listening because uh, I'd just like to extend my uh, best wishes to him and let him know how much he's cherished. Uh, I grew up in northern Jersey, so I'm aware of uh, iconic voices like Bob Shepard, who did the announcements over at Yankee Stadium, and uh, Dan is an essential part of the Phillies baseball experience. Players come and go, but when we had Whitey and Harry in the booth, and all those years of bad baseball, <laughs> they kept our interest and our love of the game. And uh, you know, it's just uh, you can't you can't say enough about these people. I agree. They well, just how about that stat that um, the Athletic had? I said Matt Gale wrote the piece, right? Yes. He has called the names. He has announced the names of twenty percent of the hitters who ever played Major League Baseball. That's remarkable. And, and, you know, I mean, they were playing Major League Baseball in 1880. That's really something. Jake, what do you have about the pitching staff? Uh, Well, uh, you know, I'm hopeful. Before I go into the pitching staff, I'm just glad that he brought up Greg Luzinski, because being Polish, that was always a source of pride for me. (laughs) You sound like my my father, Jake. There you go. But uh, And also, uh, currently, how could you top J.T.? 
real mute, though, the way he does that one more. I'm telling you, if I'm real mute, though, I'm, like, pumped yeah. when I hear that. Yep, I agree. But the, the, the pitching staff, let me tell you, I'm, I'm hopeful. I'm really hopeful because, uh, you know, uh, I, I was hoping they'd get Syndergaard. Uh, it wasn't uh, uh, a great start the other night by by no stretch of the imagination, but I'm hoping that uh, you know he'll he'll get a little stronger with each outing over here. And last night's performance by Gibson was just uh, it's it's really terrific. It was a thing of beauty. The thing with Syndergaard that I, I'm hoping it seems to me like he has yet to adjust from being the guy who could just throw it by everybody to a guy who needs a little more guile. And you're hoping that the pitching, uh, Kyle Cawthon, wait, Cawthon, yeah, yeah. Can, can kind of help guide him toward finding himself. The consummate example of this, uh, of what you're talking about, Glenn, and I'm sure some of our listeners will remember this name, was Frank Tanana. Yeah. Who came up with oh, the yeah. Angels and threw fire and Loved him. had arm problems and became... A crafty lefty, uh, the ultimate crafty lefty, and with the Tigers hung on forever. Exactly. Well, um, and I, you know, I think you're right. I think Cindergard has to, for lack of a better way of putting it, kind of reconcile himself to who he is now, and go through the process of figuring out how do I get guys out when I'm not hitting triple digits on the radar. Gun. Mm-hmm. Uh, Neil in the Northeast, you're on uh, 94 WIP. Morning, uh, there, were, there were so many, but, you, know, you know, but Dan, I mean, I, I think the Phillies, you know, what he's done, you know, like uh, with the Fanatic and interacting with Harry Callis, and, and like he said, with Larry Shine, you know, uh, you know, doing the public relations. The you know, Phillies one of the things do- I love, I'm sorry to interrupt you, one of the things oh, I, I love about Dan is he announces the lineup from on the field. Yes. So you see him every night on the field doing it and get that enthusiasm. He's not just he's not just a a faceless voice. He's people know what he looks like. One of the my favorite aspects of him being on the field before a Phillies game and going through that process that you're describing, Glenn, is when he gets ready to introduce uh, the person or people who are going to sing the national anthem, because the way he says. The United States of America yeah. makes it sound like he's introducing the United States of America. It's <laughs> great. Go ahead, Neil. Yeah, well, I mean, he's a treasure, you know, like no doubt. And like you said, um, with the director of the Big Five, like luckily I got to meet him one of the luncheons, you know, with with Sonny Hill, you know, like when he was director of the Big Five, and even. Didn't he do a lot of Eagles games as he well? He did Eagles games like for, yeah, for yeah. a lot of years. Yeah. Hey, yeah. I, I want to get your, your thoughts on the Eagles before we got to hit the break here. Uh, okay, well, uh, but, but before that, um, I, I'd like to say, you know, the, the Phillies could honor him. Like, he mentioned about Dave Zinkoff, so maybe they should be a street, Dan Baker Way or Dan Baker, you know, like that. Uh, I think the Phillies should honor him like Dave Zinkoff was honored. I tell you how the Phillies should way. honor him as the Sixers honored uh, Zinkoff is the, the the Sixers have the retired numbers mm-hmm. and they have the microphone up yes. there for Zinkoff. Dan Baker deserves to be – hey, we may get into this discussion later. The guys who are going on the Wall of Fame today, to me, yeah, a little, little – I don't know. Those are Wall of Fame guys. I would take a Dan Baker microphone on that wall. Here, here, absolutely. 
215-592-9494. Hey, coming up, what we're watching, hey, listen, we do it every week. Mike's got a uh, documentary he's been watching that, that sounds extremely powerful, but, but the best part is we finally have our new open for what we're watching. <laughs> I, I listened to our listeners who reached out to me. Got some new sound in there, updated it, more current mentions. Mm -hmm. I want everybody to give it a listen and see how many you can identify. Howie, were you, uh, were you seven for seven? Who, me? Yeah. Uh, I got them all. Okay. I got them all. There you go. My, my pop culture creds are up there with anybody. Right. <laughs> Good. 215-592-9494. Hey, it's back to school time. That means it's also time to drive the kids everywhere to and from school, sports practice, doctor's appointments, you name it. Luckily, United Tire has some sweet deals to make sure that your car is in tip-top shape for your kiddos. Now through September 30th, United Tire is offering a rebate of up to $150 on select Goodyear tires. Stop by your local United Tire today. Take advantage of these A-plus deals while they last. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24/7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast if your day sounds like we need the report asap you deserve Medella. if you've persevered through You deserve this rich golden lager with a crisp but refreshing taste. Or if you overcame. Two more rings, two more. You deserve this ice cold reward. Medella, the Markable Fighter. Drink responsibly, beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. Baseball is back, and so is MLB.tv. Watch every out of market, regular season game on your favorite streaming devices. Anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode and catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. Don't drive alone. Drive. I have to first say I'm delighted by that. Oh, I think it's terrific. And I appreciate our... our um our guy, Matt Pataglia, who put that together this week, um, I sent him a bunch of clips and requests and said, can you weave all this 
into something, uh, but I also wanted to keep the voice of Brian Haddad, who did this thing for us 15 years ago, and he was able to do that while weaving in his voice, which was not an easy thing to do. Uh, I got in a Game of Thrones. I got in Anchorman. I got in uh, almost Larry David. Fa- almost al- famous. Almost famous. Yeah, it was terrific. Godfather. Yeah, I'm, uh, you know what? Give it one more time. I'm Are you not entertained? Are you not entertained? It's time for what we're watching. That's what I do. I drink, and I know things. The best in current movies and TV. Boy. That escalated quickly. I am a golden god! With Glenn and Mike Sielski. Hey, Mike, come here. Let me look at you. Michael! Hey, Mikey! Pretty, 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 pretty god. Uh, and uh, the ending is so great. And I just want people to know that what we're watching, which has always been Saturday at this time, is now going to be Saturday and or Sunday at this time because... You watch a lot of good TV. Jody watches a lot of good TV. I do. We go to movies. And so I want you and Jody to both kind of have the opportunity to do it. And it gives me a little more flexibility if I have something or don't in a particular week. So you will be hearing what we're watching 1125, sometimes Saturday, sometimes Sunday, sometimes this week, both days. You're about to to review something. I'm just going to say that um, I think tomorrow... I'm going to review this uh, miniseries I've been watching called Blackbird mm-hmm. on Apple TV Plus, which is um, about a guy who is a convicted uh, drug dealer and arms seller who gets offered a deal from the government that if he goes undercover in prison and gets a guy to confess to a crime, he will get a lighter sentence. That's the oh. that's the premise of the show. I don't want to give you any more. I don't want to watch a few more episodes before I review. But so far, so good with Blackbird. But you, my friend, watched a documentary series this week. I did. Uh, three parts. Uh, so it was easily done in a couple of nights. Uh, and it is called Trainwreck. Uh, and it is on Netflix. And it is all about Woodstock, but not Woodstock 1969. Not not the good one. (laughs) Not the good one. It was about Woodstock 1999 uh, and the three days of music and destruction and general, what would be? Jackassery. Yeah, jackassery and chaos uh, that took place in upstate New York over those three days. Um, It's it's. A really interesting documentary to someone, and I hate how this sounds, from my generation, uh, as someone who's 47, who was in his 20s throughout the 1990s. Uh, it allowed me to kind of think back to uh, that time in the country, that time where I was in my life, and um, it really gave it gives viewers an inside look as to why this was such a terrible event and why it went so bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it says something about our society, too, I think. Um, you know, th- there's this contrast between the naivete of the people who were involved with the first Woodstock getting involved with this one. It was all peace and love and three days and there, nobody, there were no fist fights, nobody got hurt. And they thought that Beautiful, was going to happen again. A lot of drugs. Yeah. Um, well, there was, all, there was a lot of that stuff. There was a lot of drugs. Yeah. <laughs> but there wasn't a lot of peace and love. Um, there was a lot of fires and fights and really inappropriate behavior. Um, bros being bros. Exactly. And, uh, you know, like I said, it's an interesting look at that time and that kind of slice 
of our cultural history. How's the music? Because the original Woodstock, I mean, I bought the soundtrack to that and played it for 30 years. And the movie, the original Woodstock, it's like, oh, my God, this is Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young. First time they got together. And Richie Havens and Joe Cocker and, and, and you know, everybody was there. It was great. The music is not a point of emphasis in this documentary. Oh. It's really not. And, and in some ways, that's good. Because while you have uh, this list of acts that appeared during Woodstock 99 that includes artists like Sheryl Crow and Willie Nelson and the Red Hot Chili Peppers, you also have some who you look back on and go, or at least I do, and go, people listen to this stuff? <laughs> you know, Corn uh, and Limp Biscuit, which is just not my cup of tea. And yeah. a lot of those sorts of bands were doing a lot to get a crowd of close to 300,000 people really riled up uh, and really not in a good place. All right. So what's your grade for this? My grade actually is three stars out of four. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's a it's a pretty honest, revealing look at this little slice of our cultural history um, where if you look hard enough, you can see precedence for what comes later with kind of exhibitionist behavior on social media ah. and things like that. Um, you know, this is 1999. This is before... This is after the Cold War has been won and before 9-11 when everybody thought uh, everything was awesome. Yeah, we were in pretty good comfort level for those couple of years. All yeah. right, so worth watching. There you go. And the name is Trainwreck, and it's on Netflix? Correct. Trainwreck on Netflix. Good job, Mike. Thank All right, you. by the way, what we're watching, of course, is sponsored by Guided Door and Window. Take advantage of Guided Door and Window's big summer sales event. Receive 40% off all windows and doors. Call 1-877-GO-GUIDA or visit go, G-U-I-D-A.com. Com, Jack in Santa Barbara. What's going on with you this morning? Hello, Prof. Hey there. Good to hear your voice. And Mike, nice to meet you. You too, Jack. Uh, I'm on the Dan Baker plan. I've been there with, with Ray and Glenn and <laughs> not missing any of my surfing mornings on Saturday. It just doesn't happen because I'm sitting in with these guys. And now I'm I've got this new journalistic connection with both of you, and I love it. Thank, Thank you. Absolutely. Um, I, I do have a uh, what I'm watching uh, tidbit to give you, Glenn, sure. before I give, make my point. So I, I stumbled on to Mark Knopfler, and I know you're both music guys. Mm -hmm. Very much, especially Knopfler. Doing, doing all his, his solo albums. Not Dire Straits. Right. And it's it's five parts, and I'll say no more. Oh, it's a documentary oh. on Mark Knopfler? It's, a, oh, yeah. it's a show? Oh, yeah. Oh, what's it on? It, well, it's on YouTube. Okay. Okay? I can find it. And that. right after that, I found the five-part piece about Joe Montana, which I think is taken from a 30 for 30, but that was incredible. Too. Okay, but the piece about Knopfler is not many songwriters give you a lot of insights how they write songs, mm -hmm. and this is this is not to be missed. I think you'll I think you'll love this. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, j just not to interrupt, Jack, but Knopfler. No, it's fine. Yeah, Knopfler yeah. did uh, music for several feature films. You know, he's on soundtrack oh, after oh. soundtrack, including. Sure. Uh, what is one of the most beloved movies of all time, The Princess Bride. He did the, all the he music for that. He did the for soundtrack that. for that? Yes, he did. I never knew that. I always just figured Randy Newman did every movie. I, am I going to have to carry you on this show yes, every week? Yes. <laughs> why, do you why do you think I wanted to bring you in? <laughs> yes. Uh, quickly, what do you got in the Eagles, Jack? Okay, so so the, 
The other piece I watched was about Sam Mills because I wanted to watch about the coach, you know, getting set up for for today yeah. for the Hall of Fame. Yeah, Sam Mills and, is also going in to the Hall of Fame today. Uh, people here remember him for the Philadelphia Stars. Yes. So Nicobe Dean, he has a model. Yeah. For, yeah. for to follow that. You know, where everybody said, oh, no, he's too small, and what a great piece. Short okay. style. I'll, I'll look for the Jack, always a pleasure. Short guy heroics. Sam Mills was maybe 5'9". Yeah. I mean, I think they listed him at 5'11", which was extremely generous. Yes, very very I, much so. I've not stood next to N'Kobe Dean. I'm told he's a legitimate 5'10 and a half. Yeah, um... It's it's an interesting comparison, and if Nicobe Dean has anything like the oh. career Sam Mills had, he'll yeah. be he and the Eagles will be in good shape. Will, will be great. Uh, Sam Mills getting in the Hall of Fame today. Uh, Art McNally, who was the uh, head of officials for many years, who's a local guy, is getting into the Hall of Fame posthumously. Uh, posthumously, excuse me. And of course, Dick Vermeil, uh, Ned, in Lafayette Hill. What's on your mind, Ned? Hi guys, thanks for uh, for allowing me to come on this morning. Talk about Vin Scully and Dan Baker, two guys that really add to what baseball really means to this to, to this country and, and to our city. I don't know if, if if it's ever been played or if you guys are aware, because the Phillies broadcasters could not participate in 1980 in the mm-hmm. World Series. Mm-hmm. Vin Scully called that series, and yeah. his his call of the ninth inning. And especially Willie Wilson striking out is classic. And I had my father had made a tape of it. For some reason he thought to tape it while everybody was watching the game. And I don't have the, the cassette anymore. And I've been searching for it because mm. it, it's exactly what he he gives the time. And you know he says that it's you know he he did, he did a he sets the moment for history, which was one of the things mm. that was kind of a hallmark of his brilliance. He knew when it was a big moment, as the one you're describing, as I talked earlier about the Koufax no-hit or whatever, he knew to kind of place it so that people hearing it 10 years later, 20 years later, would would kind of get the sense of, of the moment. Right, and, and as I recall, he, he says whatever it was, a fastball, you know, got him swinging, and the Philadelphia Phillies are the champions of the world, which at that time, to me, was to hear somebody say that was, right. was magical. Well, no, no one had ever and, said that before. Exactly. Uh, what do you got quickly and on Dan Baker? He's he's a classic. He makes going to the ball games um, part of like a, a Philadelphia ritual, and um, he's again what makes the Phillies part of the fabric of the city, whether they're good or bad. Dan Baker's there, and he's going to welcome you into the ballpark and. You're going to recognize that voice. So, um, two voices that, um, that that play a huge role, along with with our other guys that that were, you know, Harry and Whitey. Yeah, and everybody very, else. very nicely said, Mike. Let me ask you this. So, we talked about um, Zinkoff mm-hmm. a, a little bit ago. Um, by the way, Debbie Gadonis, um, big daddy, big daddy's widow, texted me a little bit ago, and it was a picture from their wedding. Of Big Daddy and her and Zinkoff, wow! Who announced them going down the aisle? Oh man! Now as husband, it'd be great, husband and wife. I can't do Zinkoff, <laughs> and that was that was a that was not it. But in this town, we we had Zinkoff, um, got Dan Baker, um, 
Lou Nolan, mm-hmm. right? Um, John McAdams at the Palestra. John McAdams at the Palestra. Um, why, am the, the, why am I forgetting the guy who does the Sixers now, who's terrific? Oh, Matt, Matt Cord. Cord. Matt Cord. Um, and we know these guys, right? Yes. And we know their names. We, we And we know who they are, and we listen for them. Yes. I've worked in other cities, and I don't, I don't get that in other cities. I worked in Detroit. I grew up in Buffalo. Went to a lot of games in Boston. I don't know that in other cities, stadium and arena announcers are the celebrities, are the, the celebrities, not the word that I want to use, are the fabric of the sport that they are here. I think you're speaking to something that is really intrinsic and unique about Philadelphia. You could almost say the same thing about uh, local newscasters, that people treasure the relationships they perceive to have with people like Jim Gardner or Lisa Thomas-Laurie, people who have, been, who have done the job for a long time. Uh, and I think the public address announcers and the voices that you're talking about fall into that category. There's no sense of this is artifice. This is something that we feel we need to do in the moment to try to enhance your experience. Your experience is going to be enhanced just by being here. You are part of the community. You are a Phillies fan, a Flyers fan, an Eagles fan, a Sixers fan, a fan of the Big Five. And we are here to make you comfortable and familiar and excited. And we have these people who do this and do it well. So this is part of the fabric of being a Philadelphia sports fan. Yeah. I mean, I've I've said this before in terms of our broadcasters, yes. right? In terms of the Merrills and the and the Franskies and LAs and the Harrys before them and, you know, the Jim Jacksons and the people like that, that we don't always have great teams, but we've always had Hall of Fame broadcasters. And I think everybody knows that. But the guys who are the PA announcers are in this town huge. First time I moved here, first time I went to a Flyers game, okay? I moved here in 86 uh, in the, in the, and I went to a Flyers game that winter because I moved here in November and I went to my first Flyers game and I see before the game this guy's walking across the ice and people going, ooh. I'm thinking like, why are they booing that poor guy? Yeah, They're not booing. They're saying no. Lou. I, I <laughs> they're, knew- cheering, they're cheering the PA announcer. They're recognizing him. And that was 35 years ago. I He's still doing it. I, growing up a fan of the Phillies and the Flyers in particular, I knew Dan Baker and Lou Nolan before I ever met them. Mm-hmm. Right. From watching games on television, from going to the Spectrum and Veterans Stadium, because their voices were so much a part of the experience of following and watching those teams. And by the way, Lou, like Dan, terrific guy. Oh, Incredible. Terrific guy. Incredible. Both of them are absolutely terrific, terrific people. Back in the day, Lou's son and my son were about the same age, and they played hockey against each other a number of times. And Lou and I would sit together in the seats in the stands, and then, like, by the end of the first period, we decide, like, you know what, maybe we we won't sit together. (laughs) Too much hitting going on at that ice. 215-592-9494. Coming up at noon, we're going to talk about uh, the greatness of Dick Vermeil getting into the Hall of Fame. We want to talk to you today with Mike Sealski. I'm Glenn Mack now on 94 WIP. There you go, Mike. Great, great album 
Dire Straits. Great album. Brothers Great in Arms. The big hit, Money for Nothing. MTV at its absolute peak. I was going to say, that's when you would tune into MTV to see these videos, and this was that cartoon video. Yes. The, the guy working the, working around the house. It was just great. Anyway, that, that's good stuff. Hey, I need to uh, issue a, an apology before we go any further. Art McNally is alive and doing great. He's 97 years old. I apologize for saying otherwise. Congratulations to him on his long-deserved induction into the Hall of Fame, and I am delighted that he will be able to enjoy it. I apologize for saying otherwise. All right. It is Saturday, which means that this is the time we check in with our doctors. From Cooper Bone and Joint, Dr. Mark Pollard is with us today. Doc, how are you doing in this hot weather? You doing all right? I'm doing great, thank you. Hope you guys are doing well also. We are. Um, so I want to ask you a question. As you know, uh, NFL training camps have kind of changed. The Eagles are not tackling. They're not hitting. Uh, and, well, the lines, the line offensive and defensive linemen do bump into each other. Um, they're wearing specially padded helmets, these guardian helmets at practice. I'm sure you've seen those. Um, mm-hmm. Doc, there's more contact at the cafeteria line than on the field. <laughs> And yet, two players reported with concussions this week: offensive tackles Jordan Mailata and Andre Dillard. I have—I don't know how they could have have incurred the concussions. Has the standard changed for what is a concussion? Has the testing gotten better? Are we, we, you, the medical community, now more attuned to it, so we'll be quicker to suggest that somebody's got one? Yeah, I mean, we've talked about this before. You know, a concussion, there's no test for the, there's no lab test for a concussion. You can't get a, some kind of a scan that says this is a concussion. Essentially, it's symptoms that follow a, a, a blow to the head. And so, you know, as over the last 20 years, certainly, um, as awareness of concussions has gone up and you know, sensitivity to it has gone up, I think that there's probably, um, uh, a lower threshold uh, to you know, consider things a concussion. You know, obviously, you know, we used to say somebody got their bell rung, and you know, they they wouldn't necessarily call that a concussion. But you know, I don't know officially if uh, you know there's been some kind of a, a standard. But I think certainly there's been a tendency uh, to call more of these incidents concussions. Doctor, is it? A concussion or a head injury seems to me as a layman to be an injury that is really particular to that individual, more so than, say, a broken bone uh, or a, a torn ligament or, you know, something along those lines. Number one, is that true? And number two, how difficult does it make it to treat head injuries, given the the fact that they seem to vary so much from individual to individual? Yeah, it is, certainly it's, you know, it, it would seem much more difficult to, to uh, treat these head injuries because there's probably more that, w- that we don't know about it than we do. Um, you know, if it's a broken bone or a torn ligament, you know, there's all kinds of studies, evidence. You can tell how things are going. You can get x-rays to follow bone healing. You can get MRIs to look at ligaments. And so you have some kind of objective uh you know, data to kind of guide your treatment. Whereas with a concussion or a head injury, it's completely dependent on, you know, mostly upon reported symptoms. There are some things that you can look at, you know, like the uh, eye motor and muscles around the eyes and so forth. 
there are some things that can give us some data, but by and large, most of the, the data that we have is just you know reported symptoms. Yeah. That, of course, can vary individual to individual. Dr. Pollard, uh, it is always a pleasure to speak with you. We hope that you have a great week, and we hope that uh, we don't ho- we continue to not have any real serious injuries to discuss. <laughs> well, hope so, but the cafeteria is a dangerous place. There you have it. Thank you very much. you got to watch out for those slices of apple pie. They're not. Hey, listen, you get those big boys in line for something, the elbows are flying, I hey, would imagine. Hey, and if you've eaten in the Eagles cafeteria, um, the, the food there is absolutely terrific. They used to let us in there you know, back on draft night and things like that. But it was uh, hey, it was well worth the, rumbling over the, the food. The chip there. smoothie machine is operating at full tilt. <laughs> Remember that? <laughs> oh, oh, my gosh. gosh. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And it would be like, you know, here's the kale mm-hmm. and here's this and the radishes and here's the, you know, the fruits. And, and each guy would almost have like a prescribed thing he was supposed yes. to get. A chip was huge on this. Yeah. And look, that's kind of standard operating procedure oh, yeah. nowadays in the NFL and all these other sports. You know, you can track Everything. Chip had a lot of nonsense, but some of it was not nonsense. Yeah. Um, what was I going to... Oh, oh, I was going to say this. So we're not going to see Mylotta play on next Friday. I don't know how much we'll see him play during the preseason, but Dillard is a guy. Yes. And again, Dillard's the other guy who reported a concussion that I really want to see play in part because I think they're going to try to work him in at right tackle some to see if he can play both sides, but also... He's a guy you might trade. Exactly. Um, you know, it speaks to how well the Eagles find and develop offensive linemen that there's not more outrage or discussion about the fact that the Eagles moved up to take Andre Dillard in the first round, and he is not starting for them oh, or wow. even playing for them. It's because Mylotta is so good. He exactly. Saved his butt. Um, but you're right. I, I would have been curious to see him play as well, and now that possibility seems remote at best. Silvio in Turnersville. What's happening, Silvio? Hey, guys. How are you? Great, Hi, Silvio. Um, uh, you know, I'm calling because uh, I'm an I'm a old friend of uh, Mike's, and I <laughs> uh, just wanted to let him know that we're out here supporting him and, and proud of him, happy that uh, he's doing you. so well. I, I think just, you know, that by the nature of your friends and family listening, ratings are going through the roof. <laughs> hey, you know, I, I stood out on the street corner at Broad and Market and just <laughs> passed out dollar bills to anyone who would call in. Thanks, Sil. No problem. I passed that line twice. Um, <laughs> so, uh, you know, I just want to say, you know, Glenn, I've, I've loved your show. Uh, listen to you and Ray, you know, just about every weekend made me look forward to uh Coming out to do yard work. Thank you. Um, Appreciate it. You know, it. and, and <clears throat> look forward to uh, seeing you guys, you know, as you go forward. Um, you know, the Phillies moves, love their recent moves. You know, it'll be a an interesting and fun, you know, late summer and early fall. So uh, just looking forward to that. And uh, and that's all I really had. Just wanted to. Uh, nice. Well, you know, I, we'll, we'll always take a compliment, and we, and we appreciate that. Uh, let me get this before the break so that we can get Milt out of the way. Hey, Milt. Hi. Uh, good morning. I've really enjoyed uh, your new show, new format. Thank you. Thanks, Mel. Uh, I wanted to talk about Dan Baker. I Dan and I met in 1964, believe it or not. Um, we were trying out for the basketball team at then Glassboro State. Is that right? Now, wow. Now, Rowan, we played, and we played two years together, became instant friends, and um, started going to big five double headers and just everything our love of sports sort of mirrored each other all right but My let me ask you I, this yeah did he have game he did have game and we interestingly enough we got to play by some quirk of fate the princeton freshman the last game of the year 
in the prelim game before Bill Bradley's final home game. Oh, whoa. So uh, that's all. Dan and I talk about it every time we get together. Uh, he and his wife, Kathy, have been dear friends for years now. And we were there last night with the family and all. And uh, he is, you said it, Glenn. I mean, he is simply the, the nicest guy. There's, you wonder, could somebody be that good? Yes. He's never been any different. He works hard. He loves his family. He reaches out to everybody. He always has. Um, I I just, I, when I heard your show, I turned it on driving somewhere. and I was so happy because I, we were so thrilled last night. And of all the memories of the night, at the end of the night, we're uh, leaving the, the sweeter. We were going to drive Dan, Kathy, and Kathy's sister home because they only live five minutes away. We're walking through the whole concourse around. He's getting standing ovations yeah. and cheers and people coming over and custodians and everybody just congratulating yeah. him. It was so Everybody emotional. knows him. Thank you, Milt. Everybody knows him. Everybody likes him. Everybody respects him. You earn that through years of being a great guy. I'm picturing Dan playing basketball yeah. and calling his own shots. <laughs> Dan Baker for two. <laughs> that had to be fun. That had to be fun. Two one five. I read the piece I read about him, um, which um, was in the Athletic. Talked about he talked about how before he did the Phillies thing, he was announcing for like a Daredevil um, show, what, like an evil, like, a, like an evil. Kind of thing? No, literally, yes, evil Knievel. Oh wow, yes, and these motorcycle guys who would do these things, and that's that's how he got to start doing that's that amazing. stuff as a young man. Yeah. 215-592-9494 with Mike Sealski. I'm Glenn Mack now. Coming up, talking about Hall of Fame guys, we're going to uh, give our thoughts on Dick Vermeil going into the Pro Football Hall of Fame, which is happening today. Great stuff, and we want to hear from you. 215-592-9494. Mike and Glenn, 94, WIP. I'm going in as an eagle. I'm going in. They have, they, you select which team you go in representing number one. Yes, I coach the Chiefs. Yes, I coach the Rams, and I love those experiences. But Philadelphia is my home team. It's where I live, and, and that's where I, I, I deeply identify with the community. That's Dick Vermeil earlier this week uh, on a podcast with John Clark. Um, very good stuff. Uh, John's podcasts are always great, and this this one was, was as always, really good. And um, it's starting very soon. They're doing it earlier today than they've done in the past. Uh, this is going to be Dick Vermeule's 12th trip to the Hall of Fame, the the, the first one where he's the guy who gets applauded yeah. as opposed to applauding his peers. Um, a lot of his players, a lot of his cohorts, a lot of people have gotten in. And he gets in now. And you wrote a profile of Vermeule earlier this week that was on the front page of the Inquirer that was absolutely terrific. Um, we were Jody and I were fortunate to have him on the show last weekend. And one of the things you said that I, that I think is kind of the foundation of a lot of this is that the Dick Vermeil who coached in Philadelphia back when he came here from UCLA in, in uh, 1976 was his first year, right? Yes. Uh, through 82, that guy's really different now. And that guy would not have been able to, I don't know if you said survive, but kind of keep going in, in the league. Right. I think... One of the 
kind of assumptions I went into with in writing the profile about Dick was people nowadays think of him as, you know, the guy who gets emotional over the commitment and excellence of the barista who serves him his morning coffee and Mm -hmm. (laughs) the guy who was on the billboards and on TV commercials throughout the Delaware Valley as a spokesman for Independence Blue Cross and Cadillac. And you had to, in a way, kind of be there when he got here in 1976 and really dig through to remember what kind of coach he was at that time. And he had a lot of hard edges to him. And in the process of shaving some of those edges away, he took himself to the brink of a breakdown in 1982. Um, You know, the phrase burnout got coined because of Dick Vermeil. It's right. That's the first time anybody used it. He said coaches burnout. And before, I don't think before that burnout was part of the vocabulary. No. And, and if you think about it, he's kind of the canary in the coal mine for all the discussion that takes place now about mental health and sports. And some of the stories that have come up here, you know, Athletes like Lane Johnson and Brandon Brooks have talked about their struggles with anxiety and Simone Biles at the most recent Summer Olympics. And and Vermeil was going through that before anybody else was talking about how they were going through that. And the fact that he went through it and became a, a, a Super Bowl winning coach in St. Louis and continued to be a terrific Hall of Fame caliber coach with the Rams and with the Chiefs is really a testament to who he is as a person. Yeah, and... He was back in the day, like more than anybody, the coach who lived in his office. Oh, yeah. Right? Drove in on whatever, I guess went home Sunday night and showered. I I don't know exactly, but basically had a cot in the office, Mm -hmm. was the first guy in, the last guy to leave, looking at tape, drawing up plays, driving himself crazy. The the one anecdote I dug up that was, that that just floored me was that he would eat, he he would sleep at veteran stadium or in his office roughly five to six nights a week and at times he would he would serve himself dinner and dinner would be eating a hoagie while he was sitting on the toilet oh, because he was working all the time oh god okay all right that's sorry but it's <laughs> no you know, I, I, I it's I unpleasant just, but it's no accurate. no that's horrible um you also i i didn't know this and this was i'm delighted that this came up in your interview with him we all loved the show Ted Lasso. Mm-hmm. Loved it. And it's about uh, a American college football coach, wins national championships over here, somehow ends up over in England in the Premier League coaching a team over there. Um, and it's, you know, the fish out of water story. And he started to watch it and couldn't watch it? He's only watched six episodes of it. How um, come? I think it cut a little close to the bone uh, because the Ted Lasso character... Uh, you know, suffers a panic attack. and Oh, okay. And, yes, he does. And, and the character, what, what characterizes Ted Lasso is the degree to which he cares for the people around him. Uh, he loves his son, and he loves his players on this soccer club, and he wants to perform well, and he's almost so caring that he pushes himself uh, to the edge and suffers a panic attack in the show. And I think... That's very, very similar. When I was watching Ted Lasso, I was thinking about Dick Vermeil. And so when I sat down with Dick in his home in Chester County, I made a point of bringing that up. Have you seen this show? Did you identify with the character? And he said, yes, he did. That's very interesting. Um, you're, again, your piece, and people should read it, you, you um, basically chronicle his career from high school coach on up. You found one of his former high school players who talked about him. Yeah. And his players just loved him. 
It, it, At every remarkable. level, his players loved him and stayed in touch with him. It's remarkable. He was a 23-year-old kid when he became a high school football co- head high school football coach at Hillsdale High School in California and there are six or seven former players from that team who have flown out to Canton for the ceremony wow today and again that speaks to who Dick is as a person it speaks to the way he could connect with his players on levels that go obviously just beyond football and you hear that all the time when you talk to guys who are on those teams with the Eagles in the 70s and early 80s, guys like Ron Jaworski and Harold Carmichael and Wilbert Montgomery, who Dick made an NFL coach, hired him in St. Louis because he saw something in him, uh, an untapped ability to, to reach players. Why do you think he resonated so well here in the fact that he has not coached here in 40 years but is still an endeared, an endearing figure in this town? When Mo, you never saw him coach, no, right? You never saw his coaching career. Um, he's, I mean, I know he stayed here. He made his home in Chester County. The the cut we played coming into the segment talked about, you know, he won a Super Bowl with St. Louis. He had very successful years in Kansas City, but Philadelphia is his place, and he's part of the fabric here. How did that work? Well, he took the super. The, he took the Eagles to the Super Bowl and was the first coach to do that. He did it in a way that was kind of fit for this city, right? Like the whole Vince Papali situation, for instance. He holds an open tryout so that somebody from the Philadelphia area might make the team, and somebody does. Yeah, Uh, And and, and the perfect regular guy. Exactly. The blue-collar guy. You know, when when he was hired as their head coach, they did not have a first, second, or third-round draft pick for the first three years he was here. So the fact that he was able to build a championship-level team— that way is remarkable. I think that endeared him. And I think more than anything else, Philadelphians love a real, honest, heart-on-your-sleeve kind of coach or athlete. And Dick Vermeil is nothing if he is not that. By the way, still doing those Blue Cross commercials. Yeah. Yeah. Still... He's, 80, he's 85, and Glenn, Oh, he's you youngest know 85. Oh, yeah. You would never know it. I was with him, and he's not 80. You know, God bless. I want to be half have half that energy at 85 when when i went to interview him and pulled up into his driveway he greeted me uh and his jeans were already dirty because he had been out splitting logs that morning <laughs> and i got there at 10 o'clock in the morning so think about how long you've been out there. oh that's great uh, by the way the the other thing i'll just say about your profile which really nice to see as a former newspaper guy and i don't know how many people care about this but i liked that at the end of your story it gave credit to other people, including the photographer, the great uh, Jose Moreno, great photographs yep. with that story that really captured what you're talking about with those dirty jeans and and his house out in Chester and all that. It was, ne- it was really nicely uh, the way they laid that out, the way they you know gave credit to it. It was a good total package. It's never just one person. Yeah, that's so, great. By yeah. the way, this hour is sponsored by Meridian Bank. Business banking at its best. Visit them at meridianbanker.com. Let's talk to Robert and Glenn Olden. You're on with Mike How's and Glenn. Hey, Robert. Hey, gentlemen. How you doing? Good All right. Uh, technically, yeah, good afternoon. Um, before I get to my Philly's point, I'm a little hard on the moves Dombrowski made, and I'll explain why. Mm-hmm. I think if I speak for all Philadelphia born and raised myself, guys like Ray, guys like Dan Baker, then you talk about Dick Vermeule going in today. They're us. You know, they speak for us. Um, they think like us. They react like us. They're emotional like us. Mm-hmm. And listen, I'm 49 now, guys, and you know, I've seen enough loss, you know, heartache with the, the Joe Carter home run, hmm. 
the Tampa Bay game and things like that. But you know what? The Super Bowl helped, and we've been blessed as far as the guys like you on the radio, our broadcasters, our color commentators, guys on the radio for sports, whatever it is. We've had the best of the best in that area, writers. And, and I appreciate the compliment. I, I want to say something, and I do want you to get to your Phillies point, but you, you just okay. made me think about something. Because um, you talked about Dick Vermeil and he's us and his emotion and all of that. So Dick Verme- Andy Reid had a more successful coaching career in Philadelphia than, than Dick Vermeil, right? And took the Eagles to a Super Bowl, which they also Absolutely. lost. Yeah. Andy Reid, I think at this point, is respected but never will be beloved. Well, and you know part of it—hold on, Robert, because I, I do want your thoughts, but part okay. of it is— Andy never showed emotion, and yeah. we want emotion. And Andy kept it so close to the vest that we never felt we got the person. Dick Vermeil gave you the person, Mike. Yeah, I, I've tried to frame it this way, Glenn, when people ask me why Philadelphia sports fans connect with certain figures more than others. Philly sports fans, in particular, want to feel like they are along for the ride. Mm-hmm. And Dick Vermeil is one of those people who made you feel like you were along for the ride. He was feeling it in the same way that the people in the 700 level were. And if you can tap into that as an athlete or a coach, you will live forever here. Yeah, and no disrespect to Andy, who had a great career. He never gave us that. No, he kept people at arm's length, generally. Go ahead, Robert. Amen, guys. And quick example with that is you go McNabb and Dawkins. Why is Dawkins beloved? I think McNabb had a better career than Dawkins, but you know what? I don't know about better, sure but about but that. I don't know about better, but I think the he, he your point Justin stands Justin. in terms of their personalities. Personality. So you don't like these Phillies trades? What? Right, what? Listen, what? Listen, what? I was talking to the producer. Listen, I'm glad we got Robertson. He shortens the bullpen. We're going to need it after seeing yeah. Syndergaard. We're going to need games like that. And you know, this is why I'm disappointed. We got a center fielder. I hope the guy can hit because otherwise, I want to be like San Diego, Glenn. I want to go out. And buy a championship. You know what I wanted? I want to run down, Glenn. Because if we go into a, <laughs> it sounds okay. cheaper. I'm being honest with you. If we go into a series with Wheeler, Noah, and Rondon, that sounds a lot better. Than Rondon Wheeler, didn't move Noah. in the end, right? No, he didn't. He didn't move it. So they didn't move him. So yeah, they, they didn't want to pony up. I would have ponied up whatever they wanted, and then signed him to a long-term deal and yeah. had him here because he wasn't around. Because you know what? They can be dangerous. When they get these guys back and a three and those three guys in Listen, the rotation, I I cannot argue against being greedy. I appreciate I, wanting to be greedy in terms I of. Be, yeah. I get it. I want everybody. They didn't get everybody. Yeah, and they didn't get Soto. They couldn't have gotten Soto. They didn't. They didn't. It wouldn't have money issue. They didn't. They didn't have anything to give Washington for Soto that was close to what San Diego could give for Soto. This is why a farm system is so important, even for organizations that have money to spend such as the Dodgers or the Yankees or theoretically the Phillies mm-hmm. is that if you're going to get those kinds of players if you're going to trade for them you have to be able to give something up and as you said Glenn the Phillies don't have the resources throughout their system to be able to match what a San Diego Padres uh, could give away to get a Juan Soto that said and I appreciate he wants everybody sure. that's a fan's right to want everybody I think they're a lot better today than they were a week ago. Oh, absolutely. I don't think there's any doubt about that. This this deadline reminded me, and I think we talked about it last week, it reminded me of the kind of moves that Pat Gillick made here in 06, 07, and 08 to make the team better. Moves on the margins where you get a guy who just is a professional player who comes in, solidifies things, and the team is better for it. Yeah. Center fielder may not be able to hit. But you know what? He can field. 
that's more than could be said for who was manning that position oh gosh, before yes. he got here. We don't have Odubel anymore. Look, that, the center that, the center fielders weren't hitting itself. anyway. No, none of them were hitting. Right. Yeah. So you got better defense out there now. All right. On a scale of one to ten, chances that Mickey Moniak has a career in California. Hit a home run his first game there. Three. Yeah, that's about right. Yeah. And you know what? It's and and I don't wish him ill. I mean, he didn't do anything to no. to hurt me. He was a kid, high school kid, taken with the first overall pick of the draft by a team that really needed help. And he was not able to produce. There's a lot of pressure there. I I don't know if they rushed him because he's was he 23 now. Yes. Okay. So you can't say after all those years that they rushed him, but clearly he was not going to be able to do it here. Go somewhere else. No expectations. Nobody in California knows who he is. No pressure. Maybe maybe he'll develop into a serviceable major leaguer. There there are examples of that where guys are late bloomers. You think back a few years. Um, Jose Bautista with the Toronto Blue Jays who was a home run champ and an MVP, yeah, yeah. unlocks something in his swing and emerges as a dominant hitter. J.D. Martinez, who was with the Red Sox, similar things. You know, you wish the best for Mickey Moniak, but as you said, I don't think it was going to work here. Uh, I'm not the first to say it, boy. That You look at, I've seen the list. I may even have it on my, on my thing. When, the, when all four teams here had the first or second pick, 2016 to 2017, Nolan Patrick and Carson Wentz and uh, who was the clown that the Sixers took with the Fultz. first pick? Yeah, Markel the Fultz. Fultz. They were right. They're all. Was, they're all gone. Yeah, it was sixteen to, I want to say eighteen, uh, and there were five picks in the top two, six in the top three. If you include Alec Bohm, who was oh, the well, only hey, one, he's our savior. Who is the only he's, one who's left? He's the last great hope, and playing well. Yes, uh, Carl in Bucks County. You're on with Mike and Glenn. Hey, Carl. Hey, guys, how you doing? Always right. enjoy your work. Uh, real quick, Dick Vermeil anecdote. Several years ago, my wife and I went out to Napa. And on the plane, I'm reading an article that says Dick Vermeil opened a winery in Calistoga, California, his former hometown. Yeah. Long yep. story short, we walk in, and I'm looking at the, at the thing, and I said, hey, is Coach here? He says, uh, no, why? I said, I'm from Philly with my wife. If he was here, it would be great to meet him. The kid looks at me and says, I'm going to tell you what to do. You'll like it here. Go around the corner. There's a little park. You might see a familiar guy being interviewed for a TV show. Huh. And I look at the guy. The guy winks. We go back there. Dick's being interviewed. And my wife and I had picked up some uh, picnic lunch and we're eating. Interview's over. And I walk over. I say, hey, coach. I said, just nice to meet you. My wife and I just came out of here from Philly. She says, you're from Philly. you got to go in to my tasting room. We go into this magnificent if you ever go to Calistoga, go to Vermeil Wine. Oh, sure. Yeah. We don't talk about wine. He puts his arm around my shoulder, takes me to the wall, covered with pictures. He looks at this picture. He says, you know who that is? I said, that's Claude Humphrey. He says, you know your numbers. And all he <laughs> talks about is the mistake. You know what? I put too much pressure on these guys. I should have let them have more. Oh, wow. In LA. And he's... We did not talk about anything but Eagles with such passion, such a nice, open, regular guy. It was fantastic. My wife and I still have the picture with his arm around us. Just a, a marvelous, passionate, sincere guy, so rooted. I know he won in, in Kansas City or whatever, or L.A., but this hurt him. This hurt him to his core, and he relived it. 
That's right a you know what me. what a what a great thing for you. That's just a great story. It's, it's amazing. It's right? amazing, but not surprising if you know or have ever met Dick Vermeil. Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting. One of the things he, after I talked to him a couple of weeks ago, he forwarded me the transcript of the speech that he gives routinely when he's speaking to companies or banquets or things like that, and it's forty-five pages long, and it's all exclamation points and capital letters and italics and all these things. And one of the things that stands out is players don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. That's on page one. It's the thing he says right off the top. That's great. Every speech he gives. And again, I think it speaks to why he's in Canton today. We've had the opportunity to talk about a couple of good guys today in Dick Vermeil and Dan Baker. That's great. And we will talk to you. 215-592-9494. Um, Actually, coming up, I think you and I, I think we share an opinion on this. The Phillies are doing something this weekend. Listen, it's Alumni Weekend. It's great. You started to see some of the faces in there yesterday. Uh, they're all going to be there this weekend, all of the greats, all of the part-timers. It's really fun. But there's one aspect of it that I'm not comfortable with, and I believe you are not as well. We'll get into that, too. 215-592-9494. He's Mike Sealski. I'm Glenn Mack. Now, hey, the summer heat means it's that time of year to crank up the A.C. again, now to keep your home cooling more efficiently. And to help you save on high energy bills, I suggest you go Guida and finally replace your old drafty windows, inefficient windows and doors, with the great people at Guida Door and Window. Right now, Guida is offering the best discounts of the year with their big 40% off summer sale on all expertly installed windows and doors. You're going to receive 40% off each window you buy. That's right, 40% off all high-performance, energy-efficient, triple-pane windows, and you receive 40% off any door, including insulated entry doors, patio doors, garage doors, and storm doors. Plus, get your project started today with no money down, pay it off interest-free for up to 12 full months. All prior sales excluded, minimum purchase required. Don't let these big discounts pass you by. Go guide it today to take advantage of these limited-time savings by calling to schedule a free in-home estimate at one eight seven seven go guida or visit them at goguida.com. That's go. The Broad Street Bombers. You like that? Ah, uh, that's okay. Not there, Jody McDonald calls them the Broad Street Broomsticks. Well, that that only fits if they're sweeping every series, right? Uh, well, I think they could this weekend. Oh, very much so. I think I think you and I and seven other guys from out in the corner here could sweep the Nationals. Yeah. So the Nationals, I think they're they're mostly stripping down to sell, right? Is that that yes. they don't want any any big salaries on the uh, that on is the correct. Payroll? Yeah, that is correct. Baseball's got to do something about this. Um, listen, it's fun to be one of the haves when there's the haves and have-nots, and the fact that the Phillies went out and like I'm not saying Syndergaard's going to be good or not, but he costs money, and it's like okay, we'll add the money. They're, yeah, you know they're the, willing he, to do it, but it's not good for the sport. Like why? Why would anybody be a Pirates fan? Imagine you live in Pittsburgh, right? And that's your baseball team. And that's all you got. And you got to root for them. And you know they'll never be good. And if somebody develops and is good, he's not going to stay. And and it's more than just the team not being good. It is the team not being good and no individual star who raises your interest and might keep you coming to the ballpark, right? Like. No, because he'll be gone. Right, he'll be gone. You know, years ago, again, I have my I have major issues with baseball on a lot of levels, and one of them is that these sorts of teams that you're talking about don't keep star players who would keep their fans interested. I mean, I 
again, I grew up a Phillies fan at a time when the team was not doing well. Oh, Bill Giles would say it's, we're a small market club. Well, yeah, but at least I got to enjoy Mike Schmidt at the end of his prime. And even when the team wasn't in contention, I could watch Mike Schmidt every day. And, you know, that's that. the idea of that is going away. Right. So who's the best player in the Pirates? Is Brian Reynolds? I think it's figure? Willie Stargell. No. <laughs> <laughs> Roberto Clemente? Yeah, see that. You know, people I know my age grew up watching those guys. Those were your pirates, and it was because they could compete because yeah. everybody made the same money and every market could afford it. I just want to look up. Brian Reynolds is 27. He's – I just want to look up his contract, right, because he'll be out of there. Yeah. Uh, sorry about this. Okay. He's arbitration eligible next year, which means they'll dump him. Yeah, they'll move him. He'll be somewhere else. And, and even he, as their best player, is hitting two fifty eight with an OPS under eight hundred. I know, it's, I know. I'm, and maybe there's somebody doing better this year. I just thought of yeah. him as like a guy who's you know he's a, he's a real major leaguer. That's that's what I'll say about him. Uh, Ken and Redding, you're on with Mike Sealski and Glenn Mack now. Hey, Ken. Oh, hi, Glenn. Hey. Uh, thank you, uh, you and Mike, for taking my call. Sure. Uh, I, I meant to make this call back when you were with Ray and, and Dick's uh, nomination to the fame was announced. Mm -hmm. But since this is his weekend, I, I, I had to get this in. Uh, back in June of 1980, uh, our daughter Laurel was two and a half years old and was diagnosed with acute lymphocytic leukemia and treated down at Children's Hospital. The good side is she's she'll be 45 in January. Nice. Congrats. But, wow. The, the, the point of the call really is that at that time, uh, Dick's lovely wife, Carol, was doing play therapy with kids in the clinic. So we got to, to meet her, get to know her a little bit, and just a loveliest woman. And uh, somewhere in our archives, I have a picture of uh, Dick holding my daughter and one end of a, one of those big donor contribution um, yeah. checks. And yeah. on, on the other end is Arnold Palmer. And uh, wow. at the time, Laurel couldn't say Dick's name correctly. She used to call him Dick Emil. So, uh, so uh, she is 45 now and, and she's doing well. She's doing great. Yeah, she's doing good. She's good to given hear. us six grandchildren. And wow. Just, there you go. Hey, but, nice. You know, I got to run. I got to run, but it's a very nice story, and I appreciate it. Thank you. By the way, this hour is sponsored by Meridian Bank. Business banking at its best. Visit them at meridianbanker.com. So uh, Phillies Alumni Week is occurring, as we said, and it's great, and it's fun for fans, and it's fun for the old players to come back and see each other. Uh, one of the people who's coming back is Pete Rose. And um, you want to go first on this? I'll just say... I'm not sure it's appropriate that Pete Rose is coming back for Alumni Weekend. Let's put it that way. Okay. I don't. I, think I have. I have my. I have my uh, reservations about this. And this is coming from someone who. <clears throat> how can I put this? And and in, in a way, the Rose situation doesn't apply. I'm not. I'm. I'm someone who tends to be. You you need to give people grace. You know, there are going to be a number of people, athletes, coaches, whoever, who make mistakes in their lives mm -hmm. and even do terrible things and should be given a measure of grace, should be given a second chance. I'm not sure. In fact, I'm, I'm fairly sure that sort of standard shouldn't apply to Pete Rose. Um, 
Yeah, and the thing is, baseball was going to give him his second chance. I think they were ready to move past the gambling thing a couple of years ago, and then all this story came out um, and it, that Pete, when he was here, apparently was having an affair with a young teenage girl. Uh, I have the story right in front of me right now, Okay, uh, and I was able to find it because I'm the one who wrote it for the Inquirer. Is that right? Yeah, back in 2017 when this news broke. Okay. Uh, Pete Rose whom the Phillies will induct into their wall of fame in less than two weeks. Again, this is back in 2017. Initiated and maintained a relationship in the 1970s with a girl who at the time was not yet 16 years old. The woman said this in a sworn statement in federal court. Mm -hmm. So he, by the way, he was a married man at the time. Yes. uh, Having an affair with a young teenager. And he acknowledged it. He acknowledged the relationship, but said that his defense was, I thought she was 16. Yes. Which in the grand scheme of defenses is not pretty good. Yeah, no, that's, you wouldn't play that Larry David clip. No. uh, Over that defense. No. And he also said, uh, well, whatever, whatever he said. Yeah. But but the thing about Pete Rowe, so at the time the Phillies decided we're not doing this. Right. Okay. What changed? I don't. I I don't know for certain. I haven't asked anybody affiliated with the Phillies about this. I would guess uh, he's a popular draw. People want to see him, and they perceive that people will come to the ballpark and want to see Pete Rose. And I think in their mind, time passed, and nobody's going to really think about it. Yeah, I think that's part of it, yeah. Statute of limitations on our emotions. There's There's some different ways that they are doing things. With the Phillies. I wrote about this last year um, when they fired several people who had been affiliated with the organization for a long time. Um, if you talk to people around the team a little bit, they'll mention that things aren't quite the same there since David Montgomery passed away. Um, and I would wonder if this would happen if David were still running the show there. And what you're, what I'm inferring from what you say is certain expectations of behavior have changed? I think so, yes. Okay. Um, listen, I think Pete Rose is one of the great players of all time, and I acknowledge the Phillies do not win the 1980 World Series if they don't have Pete Rose, and I think there's no disagreement on his talents as a ball player. He was also an immensely popular player when he was here for great reason. Yeah. He was fun to watch, and he hustled, and he played well in all the things that you and I talked about earlier of what makes people in Philadelphia like somebody. He checks all those boxes. But to quote the late Mayor Frank Rizzo, he's a crumb bum. <laughs> He's a bad human being. He is. He, yeah. he, for years, denied all the gambling stuff until he finally admitted it to write another book. Yes. Uh, this thing with the relationship, I mean, we like to be kind of tough on our domestic abusers. To me, having sex with a 14, 15-year-old counts as domestic abuse. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's you go to prison for those kind of things. Yeah, yeah. Um, as I said, Rose, you're, you you know better. You have to know better. Yeah, but of course you're of course he knows better. But knowing better and acting on that knowledge have never gone together with Pete Rose. No, they never have gone together with Pete Rose. And I've met Pete Rose a couple times, and he's Pete Rose the performer. When I met him, I met him at autograph shows, mm-hmm. and you know he's charging whatever fifty bucks for his autograph. I, I forget. I wrote a story about it. I forget what the the number was, right? But say it was fifty bucks. And his name is Pete Rose, and so he he does that, and he goes to me. Hey, look at that, three dollars and what's fifty divided by eight? Uh, pardon me for the six twenty-five. He goes six twenty-five a letter. Yeah, 
It's like, oh, that's great. It tells you what's on your mind. Right, I actually, back in 2014, I went to a church in Collegeville because it had invited Pete to come to the service for a Q&A. And he did. And I'll just put it this way. Some of the stories he told during his Q&A were not exactly appropriate for a Sunday service. Yeah. The Phillies can do whatever they want. I think it is wrong to have him back for Alumni Weekend and pretend that all is well, I think. And what the Phillies said when they were asked about it is, well, we asked his former teammates. Yes. Well, of course they're going right. to want him back. Right. They're exactly. his teammates. That's not who you ask. No. That's not the barometer that you use for this kind of thing. And again, you can th- – there is – there is and should be room for second chances and not banishing people on the first mistake or, you know, whatever. Pete Rose doesn't apply in those situations. He does not. Uh, Mark in Malvern, actually, may may agree or disagree on this. Hey, Mark. You know, you're making all good points. Uh, you know, I'm 57, and when I see highlights of Pete, it kind of reminds me of the points you were making about Vermeil. I mean, the energy and the emotion. I mean, they don't win without him. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, those years and the, those three division wins with Ozark, they're playing the Dodgers in the pouring rain and uh, tears in my eyes to call the game. Yeah. Uh, just for the Phillies to win. Um, the gambling part, you know, I don't know all the details. He gambled. Uh, I mean, I don't think he threw games. That's, you know, he didn't, he didn't. He did not throw games. As far as I know, he did not throw games. But he violated what was at the time the first rule of baseball. Yeah, and, and it's and it's a rule that everybody knows, Mike. You, you've been in in clubhouses. Yeah. It hangs above the door. And, and the flip side of it, of course, is yes, he may not have overtly bet on his team to lose games, but if he's not betting on every game, you can draw conclusions based on what games he doesn't bet on. Yeah. Go ahead. No, it's just, it's just to see to watch the pregame and and hear them talking about gambling now. I mean, I know the players I, can't gamble. But I know you yeah. got to know there's some people. It's just the the, the complete sellout is. Uh, I agree. It's a mess. And I, then the I'm thing, with you. I never really knew. I really knew, never knew the thing about <laughs> dating the 15, 16 year old. Uh, the guy's a complete complete creep. But you know we're all flawed, and he's surely flawed. But. And I kind of seem to think. So, what's your bottom judged. line on this before we go? Uh, he, he should be there. We should judge him on baseball. I mean, everyone has their flaws. I mean, he's got a heck of a lot of more flaws than all three of us. Uh, but hey, I so. I disagree, but I I appreciate your call. I, Thanks, Mark. I, it's it's probably a popular point of view, and I appreciate you calling with it. All right, two one five five nine two ninety four ninety four. We are here until one. It's going to be Go Birds Radio with Elliot Short Parks and Jack Fritz. Uh, right now, let me tell you, it's back to school time. That means it's also time to drive the kids everywhere to and from school, sports practice, doctor's appointments, you name it. Luckily, United Tire has some sweet deals to make sure your car is in tip-top shape for the kiddos. Right now, through September 30th, United Tire is offering a rebate up to $150 on select Goodyear tires. Stop by your local United Tire today. Take advantage of all these A-plus deals while they last. Don't drive alone. Drive United. Mike Sielski, Glenn Macnow on 94 WIP. I didn't ask you, you got any, any big plans today? What, what's, uh, actually, uh, what's happening yes. with the Sielski family? I am driving back home. We are uh, piling into the car and driving up to Brooklyn to visit my college oh, yeah. roommate and my 
best man in my wedding. Oh wow! Yeah, oh, so good it'll be for fun. You. Oh, Haven't seen him nice. in a while. Very nice. I got uh, the two-year-old already. My wife and I have babysitting duties for the weekend. Good luck with that. No, we're, no it's great. All, yeah. First of all, my wife does ninety percent of it. <laughs> Second of all, pops will take him to the playground, and we'll you know you know you know what he does because he's two. The big I live uh, three blocks from the the train station, the Norristown High Speed Line. Mm-hmm. So literally, we can kill an hour and a half walking down there. And waiting for the trains to go by. You know, and I, he's two, and it's the greatest thing in the world. As the parent of two sons who are 11 and 8, I can speak to how w- lovely it is to be able to have grandparents who are within a half hour <laughs> of your home. Well, they and, went up to New York to, to see theater this weekend. Yeah, they, there you go. They're at, uh, what are they at? Into the Woods to sit today. Okay. Anyway, you know what I have tomorrow? My first um, rehearsal for Clue. Oh. You got to when this happens, you got to come the, see it. You know, I, speaking of my sons, uh, the three of us love the movie Clue. Okay, and, and they have a, already. I already mentioned this. It's a them, script, yeah. And they've already expressed an interest in going. So I am Colonel Mustard yep. in the Swarthmore, the Players Club of Swarthmore production of Clue, which will be running basically, I think, October twenty first through November third in Swarthmore, and tomorrow's our first rehearsal. Oh, good luck. I'm damned excited about uh, it. I would be, too. Yeah, Great. Uh, it'll be fun. Uh, Joe in Fox Chase, you're on with Mike and Glenn. Hey, Joe. Hey, guys. I, I like this combination. I hope it works out for you. Thank you. Enjoy Thank listening. you, Joe. Uh, listen, just a couple quick things about Dick Vermeil. Um, I'm a huge college football fan. Being a guy born and raised in Philadelphia, it's probably hard to believe, but I actually prefer college football to pro. And uh, that being said, Dick Vermeil was a terrific college football analyst. I really enjoyed mm-hmm. listening to him every week. Um, really, I, I did a great job. Um, you talked about that a little bit in your story as to why that didn't, because he was good. And Joe, I remember him and he was good. Mike, you talked about why it didn't really work out. Well, in time, he felt like he was irrelevant. Here he is around the sport all the time uh, and able to interact with the coaches and the players. And yet, he still thought of himself as wanting to be in the fight, be the guy making the decisions about who would be on the team and what plays the offense would run and all of that. And I think doing those college games in time made him realize how much he missed coaching. The other aspect to it, too, was when he started out, and he told me this explicitly, he felt like the game should slow down so that he could lend his insights to the viewers. He's like, they're running plays, and I have more to say. And He wants to break down the tape. Exactly. Yeah. Well, let me ask you this. Uh, that being the case, and I'm sorry, I'm, I'm going to go back and read this article. You're darn um, right you're going to. Gonna. This week. Um, was there ever any indicate? did he give any indication that there was ever a point where, since obviously he did eventually want to get back into coaching, where the Eagles job was uh, uh, afforded an opportunity for him to come back. I remember a sound. Oh, I, I, I remember him saying, "I'm not going to beg Norman Brayman to coach his damn football team." So I remember that. No, no, it was, it, was, that, I, it was Jeffrey Lurie. Uh, yeah. So I, I covered that, and Mike, you wrote about that in your story. So we thought it was going to happen. Was it ninety nine? Ninety five. Oh, 95. January of ninety five. Ninety five. Okay, it was earlier than that. So it's ninety five, and we start getting rumors it's going to happen. I called him up, and I remember he was very optimistic about it initially. And my sense, and what we what we talked about at the time, I was doing the show with Jody, and the sense we got is that it broke down over the issue of how much control would he have as coach? Would he have personnel decisions? Could he be general manager? And obviously, he and Laurie and Joe Banner 
couldn't come to terms on that, and he that's what he said. You talked to him about it more recently. Yeah, he's, he said to me, and, and you're right, if you go and read the coverage of at that time, that was a huge factor. I think the other factor was he had been out of coaching for so long that he felt a little unsure about himself and the footing in the league at that time. And Jeffrey Lurie had owned the Eagles for less than a year at that time. Right. So he wasn't 100% sure of Lurie either. He liked what he heard, but mm. I think there was a little too much uncertainty on for him to, to be able to make the jump back into the NFL. Would have been a fascinating alternate history if, if that oh, had yeah. happened, right? Yeah, because they ended up hiring Ray Rhodes right. instead. Right. By the way, just a funny little thing that's going on on Twitter today. Tobias Harris of the Sixers mm. posted about an hour ago, Today I get to marry my best friend. Oh, wow. So congratulations. Congrats Good for him. And then he posts an hour later, just to clarify, Boban Marjanovic and I are not getting married. <laughs> well played, Tobias. Yeah, That's great. very good. Matt in Roxborough. Uh, let me get there. you go. Hey, Matt, how you doing? Hey, how are you? All right. I'd like to thank you guys for uh, doing some real broadcast journalism concerning Pete Rose because I've been waiting for people to actually talk about it and bring it up in our city that are reporters and people on, you know, sports talk stations and mm-hmm. they've been hiding from it. You guys aren't. And I, you know, I just, I hear people talk about it on the radio and they say they're mad at Dubo Herrera in one breath. And then in the other breath, say Pete Rose should be in the hall of fame and we should welcome him back. And it makes me want to throw up when I hear it well, because Pete Rose, he's a crumb bum. Like you said, and Mike, you, you, um, you researched the article and I, I, I'm 41, so I had to read a lot about it. I wasn't alive. And it seems to me that Jim Dow could have went farther with his investigation, but baseball wanted him to stop because they were going to find out that he was betting on his team to lose. I, I don't know that for I certain. I don't know. Yeah. And thanks for the call. Yeah, I, 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 I don't know about that. I, yeah. I don't know if they ever said that. No, And I will say just quickly, I think Matt makes a great point about the different standards we hold athletes to depending on whether we like them or they're actually good at what they do. Right. That's that's the way it works. All right. This hour is sponsored by Meridian Bank. Business banking at its best. Visit them at meridianbanker.com. Mike, this is the part of the show where we turn it over to our producer, Kyle Quinn, and find out, Kyle, what did we forget to talk about today? All right. So I got to start with this one. This must have been a crazy news week because I have no idea how this one slipped through the cracks here. Stephen Ross, owner of the Dolphins, was fined and stripped of his 2023 first-round draft pick for a tampering incident that uh, involved trying to get Tom Brady and Sean Payton to you know, come play for and coach and own the Miami Dolphins. These talks went back to while Tom Brady was still with the Patriots. So, I mean, first of all, it's crazy. I guess my only question to you guys would be, how does Tom Brady not get any uh, repercussions from this? Seven Super Bowls. <laughs> Well, he's been suspe- – I mean, the deflate gate thing, they've come down pretty hard on Tom Brady in the past. Well, I, he, but he didn't – I don't know what – what did he do? He didn't go. I well, mean, somebody was, called I mean, he him. He fielded to, a call. He was trying to collude with uh, Stephen Ross and Sean Payton to go to the Dolphins. I mean, he definitely had a part in this. Okay. If you think Brady's innocent of it, I mean, come I, on. I, well, I don't know that. Here's what I, here's what I think on this. I think this owner, as is the case in the NFL with all owners – is getting off easy. Oh, absolutely. And I think I think Dan Snyder, for God's sakes, should be thrown out of the league. I think this guy should be suspended or ma- made to give away his team. 
Um, what was it? Oh, Robert Kraft got off pretty light also yeah. last year. Um, they're going to try to get a, a tougher um, penalty against Sean Watson, and they should. The six games it was, yes. it was not even a slap on the wrist. That was a fly swat, uh, and that wasn't the league's fault. But the commissioner protects the owners. Yeah, and I correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe the judge who handed down Watson's six-game suspension, part of the reason she did that was the precedent of the, the, this is kind of how the league has handled this stuff. And I don't know if she made an overt reference to the Snyder situation, but certainly that's in the back of everybody's mind, that the Washington football team, commanders, whatever you want to call them, have been worse than dysfunctional for a long time, a terrible environment for their female employees, and nothing gets done about it. Yeah. Yeah, I don't I don't know if she tied that in. I think her thing about precedent was, was a little lame in that, what precedent do you have for somebody who sexually is is charged with not charged? Excuse me. Yeah. Who who is said to have sexually abused whatever it was twenty one women? But the Stephen Ross thing, slap on the wrist, not enough. Should have got more coverage. Yes. Yeah. What else? Crazy. Well, uh, speaking of unprecedented guys, you you guys can probably recall a little further back than I can here with uh, some of these baseball trades. But there had I mean, there's no way there was any trade as close to as crazy as this Juan Soto trade to the Padres. The guy's a superstar at the age of 23. I mean, not to mention they get Josh Bell and Brandon Drury, too. The Padres just loading up. But Juan Soto, I mean, if you're the Nationals, if you're a Nationals fan, how can you? Uh, you can't. I, yeah, it's, it, it, that's crazy. If you're, not, It's like we talked earlier about being a Pirates fan. It's yeah. just, why, why can you do it? I read something. I forget who wrote it. Might have been John Heyman, who said there has never been a bigger, more talented player traded on trade deadline than this. It's the biggest trade deadline catch of all time. Yeah, particularly because of his age, that he's only 23. I mean, and he is acknowledged to be the modern day answer to Ted Williams. That is who this guy is. Imagine Ted, imagine the Boston Red Sox trading away Ted Williams at age 23. Now, same franchise that traded away Babe Ruth. No. <laughs> So maybe you can't imagine it, but yeah, it's and it's not good for baseball. It's not. So, so San Diego, as you said, San Diego's loading up. Yes. San Diego, is it a top 10 market in the country? It's not a top six or seven market in the country. Does it count as a big market? I, I think it's a top 10 market in terms of what it can offer in, in terms of its location, its weather, all these things. I don't think it's okay. a top 10 market in terms of size. Okay, so... It makes it difficult to appreciate. I don't think it's a bigger market in Washington, D.C. No. No. Baseball's got to find a way to deal with this. It does. It absolutely does because baseball is becoming a regional sport anyway. It matters much, much more in certain cities than it does in others. Mm. And the summers are just lost for so many of these towns that don't field competitive teams. Well, yep. what, what do you think about implementing something like a salary cap floor that kind of incentivizes yeah, to. teams to yep. spend up to a certain amount? So you're at least putting out a competitive product on the field. I think you have to. Um, Again, the Pirates, the Nationals. Right. I'm, I'm much more amenable to a salary cap floor in any sport, right. a salary floor in any sport than I am to a salary cap. Yes. Okay. Agreed. All right. Um, all right. And one final thing. Um, this kind of this news pro- came out, I think, while you guys were finishing up your show or maybe right after your show yeah. last week. So uh, we did not get an opportunity to mention it. But uh, talked a lot about legends, talked to a legend, Dan Baker, um, Dick Vermeil, and you know many others. Um, a legend passed away last week, Sunday, at the age of 88, Celtics legend Bill Russell. I actually wrote a column about Bill Russell. It's on Inquirer.com right now. Um, 
If you're a casual sports fan, you are, of course, familiar with Russell's career with the Celtics, 11 championships in 13 years, probably the the greatest individual winner in North American team sports. Seven times, I think, he beat either the Warriors or the Sixers in the playoffs. Uh, And actually, the column I wrote was about his college career, where in 1955, he's at the University of San Francisco. They beat my alma mater, LaSalle, and Tom Gola in the national championship game, and that game signifies a revolution in college basketball. It is Russell and Casey Jones taking the game above the rim. That San Francisco team had three African-American starters on it. Mm -hmm. Gola had been what the sport was. Russell and San Francisco were showing you where the sport was headed. Ooh, good stuff. You ever meet Bill Russell? I never did. I never did either. I would have loved to, although he apparently was a rather... Yeah, he was a little chilly. Surly guy. Yeah, 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 yeah. But, Which, yeah. if you know what he went through in Boston, yeah, I get you it. can understand. I got it. Anyway, one of, one of the all-time greats, and uh, I look forward to reading that column as others. I look forward to seeing you next Saturday. Kyle, tremendous job by you today. Thank you for going above and beyond. Go Birds Radio coming up next with Elliot Shore Parks and Jack Fritz. I'll be on tomorrow morning, 10 o'clock, with Jody McDonald. We got Merrill Reese tomorrow. As a guest, they're trying to get some people excited about the preseason. Merrill will do it, right? You got some voices this weekend, man. Yeah, Merrill's always fun to talk to, and I'm sure Merrill will also have some thoughts on the passing of Vin Scully, right? And so. on Dick Vermeil, I'm sure. Oh, absolutely. You think? Love Merrill. Love it. Anyway, I'll see you tomorrow, everybody. Have a great day. Stay listening right here to 94 WIP. Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. 
Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts.